Hello and welcome. You're listening to episode 19 of Talking About Immersive Theatre, or Tate for short, which is T-A-I-T, and I am Dr Joanna Bucknell. I actually can't believe it's been 19 episodes already. That is absolutely mad. It's gone really quickly. Um, So to all those familiar ears, hello. And if you're new, unsurprisingly, this series is about immersive theatre. I go out and about to chat with all kinds of immersive theatre folk about the work that they do. So I am just going to let you get at the episode. So I'm here at Theatre Delicatessen's Delhi Studios in London with John Cooper and Andrew Somerville from Difference Engine. So hello. Hey. Hello. <laughs> uh, so John, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your background? So I thought I'd start with you mm. and then move to you, if that is okay. Yeah, certainly. Um, so I uh, came to London to seek the fame and fortune of theatre. Mm-hmm. It was very far away, it turns out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> basically, I think, so I, I started, I, took, I fell in love with theatre, I suppose, back at, uh, at youth theatre, just doing some straight plays and started writing back then as well. Yeah. Got really su- like a lot of support from that. That sort of point. So when I went to university, I wanted to be a performer, an actor. Yeah. Um, and then there was a particular day when I looked in the mirror and I was like, "You're probably not going to get the lead roles." Um, <laughs> so I started. I mean, not that I'm a, a hideously ugly individual. Um, <laughs> you know, everyone listening is going to be going, "Oh my god, they're oh going to be god, googling you." <laughs> what is this elephant man? <laughs> it's more just. Do not look for pictures of John. <laughs> Um, it was more just like, you know, you like th- there's, a, I think, a sense of realisation that can come with a lot of different <laughs> performers where they're just like, you know what, it's going to be really hard and there are better, there are more talented people, there are better looking people out there than me. I don't, like, I'm never going to get to that point. So I was like, I'll start writing and I'll see if I'm any good at that. Where Turns did you out, go to uni? Oh, University of Kent in Canterbury. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, which has quite an alumni, actually, of, of theatre professionals yeah, no, that it continue does. to work. Um, and, uh, and yeah, for me at that point, I suddenly discovered I was way better at writing than I ever was at acting. Um, so I moved to London and uh, was peddling plays around and then got picked up by the old Vic New Voices. Great. So did, uh, did a year with those guys and also did their US-UK exchange. I had a director come over from New York to direct some of my work. Did the um, uh, Manchester 24-7 festival as well and worked with Matthew Dunster to have a play produced uh, with him. I did two shows in central London, did an Edinburgh run as well, which is where the two of us met. Lovely. Um, and, uh, and then after a number of years, uh, I'd, I'd, they, I got over 25. And in the playwriting theatrical community, if you get over 25, a lot of the opportunities start to dry up. Actually, that's if you hit 30, dead zone. I've noticed that, and I'm the yeah. same. Even when I'm looking for opportunities now, looking for funding streams, yeah. looking for those, everything, everything is under 25, under 25, mm-hmm. under 25. Yeah. So you're like... <laughs> well, you're not a, you're not a new voice anymore. You're not no. a, a hot young thing commodity. So no. for myself, I like I'd written a play and I'd kind of I'd hit a bit of a rocky sort of difficult personal period in in, in my life, and I I was kind of ready to walk away from theatre. Mm-hmm. But Andrew and I had been having these long ongoing conversations about the types of work that we really liked, and I suppose we can come to that in a second or two once you've yeah, sort of no, spoken absolutely. a bit about yourself. But um, I probably wouldn't be doing theatre if we hadn't decided to try and take a leap into that. I was quite ready to walk away. So until there was like a seismic shift for me, I still adore playwriting and classic yeah. theatre um, in, in all of its forms, but this work was too interesting. So it's been almost completely left behind now. Well, that's uh, a very common story in some respects. A lot yeah. of people I speak to kind of go into either uh, drama school or university thinking I'm going to be an actor, then either to end up going into writing or directing. Yeah. A lot of people I've spoken to who work in this field have that very similar story, which mm. I think... 
I don't know what that says, but there's probably a PhD in there. <laughs> <True> <laughs> enough, yeah. For someone to go and have a look at those kind of backgrounds of where these things spring out. Yeah. <laughs> Theatre and desperation. <laughs> Theatre and desperation that and reality. That's a great title for a yeah, PhD. Yeah. Yeah, Lord. If anyone's interested, <laughs> I'm open to supervision. If any of the research councils are listening. <laughs> and how about you? What's your background? Um, <clears throat> so, uh, my background is very different. Um, I always uh, I always loved theatre when I was a kid and, you know, uh, tried kind of Shakespeare stuff and performing and um, writing a bit at school. Uh, but I kind of just liked... I, I just... I liked the kind of production aspect of it as well mm-hmm. as the kind of performing. And it was never my plan to go into theatre in any way, shape or form, really. What did um, you want to be? Oh God! Um, many so different things at many different oh, times. Right, strap in. This one's a roller coaster. Uh, I wanted to be a research physicist, uh, oh, wow. and I started off. Yeah, so I started off doing that. I went to work for. Uh, I originally went to work for the Ministry of Defence mm-hmm. when I was eighteen, and then they put me through the university. I went to do a degree in physics. Wow. Yeah, and then uh, when I came. Do you do the, the books then? Sorry. <laughs> do you do the books? You good at maths? I <laughs> did. We now have an accountant. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I genuinely, yeah, I used to run all of that, <laughs> I did, I've, I've desperately tried to get away from doing that, mainly because uh, I get way too into it, I really love spreadsheets, uh, to, to to an almost embarrassing degree, <laughs> basically everything, for those listening at home, everything that you can make inside a spreadsheet works perfectly, it's only the outside world that gets it wrong, yep. <laughs> everything inside the spreadsheet's perfect. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I, I was doing that, and I, I was doing theatre, I, I, I really loved doing it. So I was doing theatre at university. So my university was essentially a cultural barren wasteland um, because uh, I went to Imperial. Okay, right? okay. It's, it's science, engineering and medicine. Yeah. And to give you an idea, the biologists were the cool kids. Like that's, 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 <laughs> wow. that's, that's the state of affairs that we were in. Yeah, because they had almost like a 60-40 gender balance instead of the yeah. 70-30 that the rest of us had, male to female. <laughs> So uh, the drama society and basically all of the like arts and cultural societies were the same 10 people that were interested in okay. anything outside. So uh, I ran that drama society for a bit. Uh, at the same time, I was also really a bit more uh, ambitious for it. Mm-hmm. So I was also doing shows with uh, some of the Cambridge University drama societies, UCL, yeah. Kings. Yeah. I was doing, I was kind of in shows all around town um, and... Uh, then in my final year, I started producing, and I kind of fell in love with that. I started producing Professional on the Fringe, mm-hmm. um, and put together with my uh, my partner at the time, who's uh, an artist now, Jane Gauntlet, uh, we started working together as kind of a production team, like freelancing. But we, she had the great kind of draw to Battersea Arts Centre. So she found out about the Young Persons Theatre programme there. Yeah. So we were both quite young and we went to do that. And it was kind of a, an, it was an amazing point in time. And it's an opportunity that I yeah. will never forget because it was the year that Mask of the Red Death took over the BAC. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Punch Drunk was all over the place. And we were kind of spending a lot of time with the performers and, and that kind of stuff around the BAC. But at the same time, the BAC didn't have access to the building anymore. So they did this deal with Shunt. And we took over the Shunt vaults oh, underneath wow. London Bridge, okay, yeah. which was this huge, amazing complex of tunnels that they had yeah. um, for years. And so we had uh, Nigel, Louise, Murray. Um, uh, we had Hannah Ringham. You know, we were working with all of these like 
amazing artists, as well as uh, people like Silvia Mercurielli. And, yes. yeah, uh, and so all of these people were kind of, <clears throat> they were teaching us, mm-hmm. but we also, because there were so many of us and we just had this huge space, we, we were down there for like eight weeks underground, just this group of about 30 to 40 young people. So it's like an immersive crew. Mm. Well, and there, there were like <laughs> that five of us. That will be a, a frequently reoccurring yeah, theme. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. There were like five of us that were interested in producing, uh-huh. and then the rest was kind of split into um, design and performers. Uh, okay. and, and kind of five of us specialised in that uh, in, in the actual production of it and we got to produce the whole thing we worked with uh, Abigail Conroy and Harren Morrison and Harren went on to produce the Fierce Festival in Birmingham yeah, and yeah, yeah. he's an artist and yeah. Abby Conway is now lecturing uh, I forget which university um, somewhere on the south coast she's, she's lecturing oh, there okay. as well um, and you know th- these just being around these kind of the ability to just go and do anything and it was yeah. still like the the spirit of Tom Morris was still around mm-hmm. David Job was obviously just yeah do whatever you want so we literally going coming from an atmosphere of straight plays and this is how you kind of do things and it's all cross arch to a world in which suddenly it's like hey you're 40 kids we've got this huge underground space do what you want do what you want we're coming back in eight weeks basically like we'll, I mean, we'll help you we'll put you in touch with a whole incredible. bunch of people yeah it was amazing oh, yeah. we got yeah. to run like a week of programming we did something like uh, I think over that point period of time, we programmed something like uh, we there were a load of uh, music acts. We had like a bunch of immersive type shows, some weird kind of interactive art stuff. We did something like fourteen some bands bits. over the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was called Ripe and Rotten. Yeah. It was it was it was amazing. We did like a live soundtrack film, but we had the it was a bicycle safety video, and we had these people in monkey masks ride through the audience first, and then go and pick up their instruments and play the live soundtrack. <laughs> it was it was it was just crazy. We basically we were given the opportunity to do just whatever we wanted, and that just blew the doors off everything that I thought was possible. So then I kind of, I was, I was still working, I was working in policy by that point. I went to do a master's at King's mm-hmm. in international relations and security studies. Okay. I then worked for think tanks and the UK Foreign Office, Ministry of Defence, um, the UN for about five years. Wow. I got lured away by, from academia at King's uh, to the tech sector which uh, I, I worked in for a number of years, but all through that, I was basically producing yeah. stuff in London, and then we started making work together, John mm-hmm. and I. Uh, we, met in, we met in Edinburgh. Um, so there are two versions of this story. Okay. The, 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 po- the polite version <laughs> is that I went to see John's show, which was Silence in C Minor, which started off as a podcast, and I'm genuinely its biggest okay. fan. I, I absolutely It's no longer available. It, oh, <laughs> no, I was going to say, I'm going to look is, that up. It is if you email me. I have original no, copies. God. I'm very happy to I distribute them around. It was it's it's so good. Please and do. It's got like, it was, it was comic with like a, a, a fringe of, uh, it had like a, a fringe of the goon show to it in terms mm-hmm. of its structuring, like traditional radio play, but with a really anarchic kind of tone. And it was just, it was just gorgeous. And they did this live version, the two of them on stage. And it was one of the few things that I've ever hung around afterwards to try and say hello to the artist. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really like doing that at all. Um, but I did, and we kind of met, and we started hanging out in London. Uh, and then over like the next few years, kind of just like hung around quite a lot. And it was only after a couple of years that we actually started talking about working together. Oh, so it kind of mm. it was yeah. really organic. Yeah, so I was, was going to ask you about next. Yeah. No, it's totally organic. Yeah. yeah. The impolite version is that I actually met John the night before that. 
which is I met him very briefly at Noldvik New Voices networking event. Okay. He barely remembers. He barely remembers it. <laughs> I barely remember he, a number of evenings. Because yeah. he, he and James, the guy in it, spent the entire thing monopolising the time of Kevin Spacey. Okay, he was there. He, no, that's not fair. <laughs> because he was chatting to us. And that was like, he came over and he sat with us and was know, just hanging out. I know, this You're is just jealous. Yes, of course I am, because the only reason anyone was there, basically, they were trying to do some networking kind of thing, but all of us just were there to go up at Kevin Spacey. Oh, yeah, of course. Because it's Kevin Spacey. It's Kevin Spacey. He was there, he, he, Kevin basically he nice? he did go over. We were like nice one table people. over from John, and it was just John and James sitting there mm. uh, at, at this other table. Um, and Kevin Spacey literally walked in, went and sat down with them, and that was it for the evening. It was like just an hour and a half of that. Like it was an hour and a half of us sitting on the table, like without anyone else really wanting to talk to us. Me, look, and, me looking, and Jane, looking at them, staring at the fact that these guys are having this really <laughs> animated conversation. Literally, like hearing, ah, oh yeah, well, t- uh, of course, of course, I'll come to your show tomorrow, boys. You know, I was, uh, did heart, he? it just he made did, us yeah, die. He did. Yeah. Oh my really god, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. He did. So I absolutely I think hated. He enjoyed, he enjoyed James's performance. Yeah. I don't think he enjoyed. <laughs> but that's fine because I was the writer, so yeah. it's not an issue. But we absolutely—I hated John because of that immediately, and then fell in love with him the next night. So mm-hmm. it's like that—that that was that was kind of how it felt. Yeah, it was—it's very—it's very silly. But there was a there was a, I think a sort of turning point as well, like when because when we were back in London, there was we we both kind of become a bit frustrated with the way in which a lot of theatre was working. Like, mm-hmm. if you looked at the way in which technology, like, so in, in the in America, the alternative um, reality gaming scene was uh, sort of had kicked off and had been thriving for a couple of years. What's now yeah. gone on to be called uh, very wankily transmedia, um, mm-hmm. and you you looked at what they were doing, the storytelling that they were doing, the way that they were interacting with audiences, and you just you saw such opportunity in it. Yeah. Um, and we talked about that really early on, and we started talking to producer friends, and like our other artist friends, and they were like, that's great, it doesn't make any money, and it's not feasible, and you can't scale it. Um, yeah. These are all conversations that have continued until this day. Also, yeah. also it's crazy. Like, yeah. How can you have any kind of artistic or curatorial vision? Yeah. Like, It's basically, you get into a pattern and you just have to feed the beast. If it's successful, you feed the beast of generating content just to try and keep up with That's the That's our culture though, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah. Is if, if anything shows any <clears throat> kind of success at all, it's just fed and fed and fed and fed and fed until yeah. it, it sort of goes flabby and dies. Yeah. And, and we basically, we thought that there was another way. So we were both, you know, mm. kind of getting frustrated with a number of other aspects of work and we kind of it was also like we went and um, we knew of punch drunk's work we knew of kind of people making immersive yeah. promenade mm-hmm. performances and you'd go what remarkable scale worlds like yeah. what yeah. incredible work to put an audience <clears throat> at the centre of but the issue is you were a you were a voyeur in those yeah you're a ghost yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. Exactly that's exactly how I feel I just feel through. like a ghost you're yeah. not present they never like, in the one on ones it's like people talk about the fact that they, there's an acknowledgement there yeah. but in actuality nothing changes because of your presence and that was the thing that got yeah. us really wasn't yeah. it yeah it was, it was the fact that I you know uh, whilst incredibly grateful to Punch Drunk you know they kicked they kicked in the doors of the industry they demonstrated mm. what was possible yeah, and they're absolutely, absolutely lovely and people design, and design they've shifted yeah. sonography oh my yeah, god yeah, yeah absolutely and we've, and we've, you know, we've mm. they're so approachable and like Colin Nightingale you know he's been very supportive of, of our work and he's been really helpful in kind of talking to us um, but it, it, it was basically you know in terms of that kind of promenade structure that lots of people then tried to ape afterwards I was going to show after show of these things and I was yeah. just feeling like just so alienated from it because what it was saying to me and what it was saying to us was basically here is a beautifully curated world it's beautifully designed Mm -hmm. it mimics the real world or like a a stylized version of the real world in such a glorious way 
but you can't have any of it. Well, you, you're allowed to drift through it, mm. and you're allowed to observe things, but we're going to put a mask in front of you, yeah. we're going to make you compete with the audience to get the best perspective on what's going on, and we're going so to, we're, we're, also, we're also going to effectively, like, we're going to show you this world, we're going to tell you in every single sense that you have that this is a real world that we're creating for you, mm. but you can't touch it, you can't change it, you can't, you can't alter it, and you can't do anything to it. And if the purpose of its work, which I believe yeah. it is, then that's great. Yeah. Yeah. But the question became, what we what, want more. We want more. Well, it becomes yeah. like, what we do. I agree, it becomes like that kind of 3D cinema. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's cinematic, yes. but in that 4D, I suppose, actually, really, in a kind of 4D way. But Secret I always feel done with art. a bit bereft when I mm. come out. So we, we mm. specifically set out to make work that was basically where the audience was the protagonist, where yeah. the audience could change everything, where mm -hmm. the audience... Um, however it's structured their experience was vital and, and their, their experience was the show it wasn't about placing something uh, it wasn't about putting something in front of them and they could take it or leave it or they could look at different bits of it it was about the fact that the, the true artistic the true artistic vision is what's created internally yeah. within each of the audience members mm. as they change our world. And they mess with it in ways that we never thought possible. Mm. And we wanted to build in those structures. Because the other thing is that we realised that we were essentially dreadful people. Like, absolutely... Andrew realised <laughs> that he was a dreadful person. Sorry, and I am easily influenced. Sorry. I, I, <laughs> the way I normally start talks Brutal. now... I normally start talks now with the, with the opening, like, when I was 24, I realised that I was a total cunt, and so I founded a, a theatre company. Uh -huh. Like, that, that was... That's basically it. Because, so I went to... Um, For the benefit of the record, I'm rolling my eyes. Yeah, he, he, does, he does a lot, because he, he doesn't like quite how brutal I am about these things. But it's... I, so, in order to give some context, I went to Shunt Money. Uh, yeah. If you remember that show, um, which I loved, I loved the kind of scale and the grandeur of it. And what it and it's a show kind of about the the, the financial crash. Um, I think it was like two thousand and ten that it was. Or mm -hmm. It was That's just after yeah. the kind of financial yeah, crisis, yeah. Um, the credit crunch. And it was about essentially like how we buy into concepts and uh, we get taken advantage of to some degree. Mm -hmm. And it's about the kind of the illusion of wealth and these kind of things. And the, the really powerful end is that you're in this bicameral setup, your audience staring at audience about you know, 50 to 100 of you staring across at each other, whilst the, whilst the cast members are telling you everything's going to be fine and you feel like you're in a lift that's plummeting. There's a counter on the wall which is just ticking down and the numbers are getting lower and lower, representing like the stock market or whatever. And it's telling you that everything's going wrong. And one by one the performers abandon you. And they pick out, a po out of their pockets, they took a... Uh, they took a, a, a doorknob door yeah, mm -hmm. and they put it into the uh, door that you couldn't see and they opened it and left and they were abandoning you one by one until there's just Nigel Barrett there he's telling you everything's going to be fine he's holding like the miniature version of the set that you're in telling you everything's going to be fine and then he disappears there's a blackout and then in the middle of the floor there's this doorknob just rolling gently backwards and forwards beautiful image absolutely mm -hmm. amazing I loved it but of course what was meant to then happen was an audience member was meant to, of, you know, you have the English thing staring awkwardly around the room a little bit. One of you picks up the doorknob, lets everyone Absolutely. out. That's what's meant to happen. <laughs> so I got up, picked up the doorknob. I start walking out and then I thought, well, I say, I, mean, I feel like Satan spoke to me in some very specific <laughs> way. And, this, and he made me do a thing, which was that I opened the door. I took the doorknob and I closed the door behind me because that's what the show had taught me to do. The way, like, the show taught me that success meant fucking everyone else over. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I did. And then I thought for a minute and I thought, oh, I'm, they can't get out now. They probably need somebody to go and let them out. So I had to go and find a stage manager and hand them the doorknob and say, I, I shut everyone else in, <laughs> including my girlfriend. <laughs> I'm really sorry. And they, they said, 
oh, nobody's <gasps> done that before. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and went back and let everyone out, and then I had to spend the evening feeling a little bit sheepish. But did in, you in did ret- you disappear before the rest of the audience no, came I, I out? Hung, I hung, I hung around. Got to enjoy that moment. <laughs> I, I, took, I took my beating. Where your um, shame? But but the point was that you know when we started discussing the work that we wanted to make, mm. we wanted to make work where if you messed with it, it messed back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where it acknowledged you. Yeah. It, it said, <laughs> "Okay, you're trying to do this," and it, this isn't a provocation for people to come into our shows and stress yeah, test. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> do, do feel free. It we'll is, have a conversation about this come in a second. We right. can take it. Don't take it. There's some. There's also another thing I think which fits inside it, which is both Andrew and I have a quite strong background in technology and computer games. Like yeah. we love computer yeah. games, but we came from the tech industry as well. So, I myself, I worked for, uh, for Parliament doing their IT infrastructure. Did the same for Nigeria. Um, for Andrew, he's been working with. Um, a large fruit-based organisation, and um, and also with uh, with another smaller sort of tech startup. Um, so, <laughs> for the benefit, he pointed to the Apple logo. Um, so the <laughs> uh, we're all under NDA. If anyone is listening, we're going to email you an NDA. Please sign it and send it back because we don't need this discussion leaking anywhere. Um, so one of the things that, like, from a technology background, we realise that technology can enable this sort of choice if it's correctly Absolutely, built. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but there's, there's caveats that come with that. But then also principally, computer games are astonishing at now being able to recognise choice. Mm-hmm. As they've continued to develop, they've become more and more advanced at it. However, you're still in a decision tree. They are not the same as you and I sat across the table to each other having a conversation. You can ask me any question under the sun. Mm-hmm. 90% of the time it will not be relevant to the work that we like to the, yeah, the discussion yeah, yeah, that we're yeah. having. But you have the option of doing it. But there's and no I real can fold with that. Risking, and go into it. I mean, I'm not a gamer. My partner is a gamer. Mm. He plays a lot of computer games. Mm. Um, I only really play this is really sad that I'm gonna show how no, sad no, I am. It's great. I only play Little Big Planet. Nothing wrong with that. And uh, Tomb Raider. But great I games. stopped playing Tomb Raider because I cannot abide all the, I don't even know if you call it FMV anymore, but, yeah. uh, and the just, yeah. press yeah. this now, press that now, press this now, Job, press yeah, to do quick, that, and I'm like, I hate this, the yeah. since the ones who made, I always forget what their name is, the people who make Final Fantasy took over yeah. making, Enix, yeah, yeah, took over making Tomb Raider, mm. it's rubbish, because that is exactly it, you feel Split like you have no... Agency to explore yeah. that world. Well, the first Tomb Raider, you would literally slap down in the middle of like <laughs> of like some weird thing with a dinosaur about to attack you. And it's yeah, like, get your way around. And also, Figure the it detail out. was so poor at that time <laughs> on graphics <laughs> engines. It was just a series of blocks, so you really had to pour your imagination into it. You really Whereas did. Now they yeah. give you everything. Everything. Yeah. And like we've been playing through. I find um, it so frustrating. We've been playing through like recently. Uh, Life is beautiful, which is uh, is it like no, like not Life is beautiful. Life is strange. Yeah. There we go. The other one. <laughs> um, Life is strange, and um, what was the death? one that's recently been out until dawn oh yeah in oh both of God. those games they ask you to make a choice um, and I think Telltale games are a little bit guilty of this as well it'll be a single line of dialogue and it'll mm-hmm. be like would you like to come to the park with me and you can choose that or you can choose a number of different options you go do you know what everything that I've learned up to now <laughs> says I should go to the park with this <laughs> yeah. and you push it and the line of dialogue that that person says is very insulting yeah. about going to the park yeah. and you're like where is that context come yeah, from? Yeah. You've done that to make your story move forwards, not because you made me understand contextually what exactly, was going on here. Exactly, exactly. It's inauthentic and it jars every single time. Yeah, yeah. And games are getting better at it. But yeah. they're never going to be as good as 
we can yeah. be in the work that no, we're no, doing. No, they've, they've, got, they've got considerably better mm. than, uh, than, than the old binary choices where it was, do you want to do the good thing or the, or the bad, bad thing? thing? Which yeah. of these do you want, you to, want to do? do right? yeah. Because that, that's too, it's too obvious then. Yeah. But they've kind of overcompensated in the other way in some way, which is that they make it really difficult to tell what the thing is going to be. Yeah. And, and the, the, the kind of... Until we have AI that can beat Turing tests and you can actually try and decipher what a human is trying to communicate and what yeah. they're trying to do you're never going to be able to beat a real human doing it no. so we decided pretty early on that what we were going to do was use a lot of technology in order to enable the things that we do um, in order to enable these kind of elegant choice based systems mm. that are very human at their core in order to leverage technology in order to be able to offer that to our audiences yeah. now when, when I say technology it basically you know some of it is just in the way that we set up how how we run a show. The not not yeah, no, of course. There's a yeah. huge amount of technology that we tend. I'd say like ninety percent of the technology that we build, because uh, we do build a lot of our own technology. Mm. About ninety percent of it is there to enable us to run the show, and the audience yeah. never sees it. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah. stuff that's behind the scenes yeah. that they yeah. don't know is happening, and it just enables something that they do over here. To go and be registered way over there. There's yeah. a so there's yeah. a to talk slightly explicitly because technology is a really I think fascinating thing with this work and how the two collide with each other. Absolutely. There's we have a like it's not a staunch opinion on this, but I, like we're open to sort of discussion on it. But by and large, familiar technology, something that you a, a, a walkie-talkie is probably one of the finest examples. I can put a walkie-talkie in pretty much anyone's hand. And within about two and a half seconds, they can understand how to use it. Absolutely. If I tell you to go and download an app on your phone and then expect you to have an immersive or interactive experience, you will spend probably the first couple of minutes, whether or not you are quick with technology, understanding some the infrastructure that someone's placed over the top to allow you to reach that. The yeah. barriers of entry. So for us, it's about taking as much familiar technology and hacking it, like hacking it to death, making yeah, it do yeah. what we need it to do. So we'll take we'll take mobile phones and we'll use we'll use text messaging and we'll use calling systems and we'll have them doing incredibly complex things in the background. But from an audience's perspective, they've just gotten a couple of texts from a performer who they got asked a question and got the response they needed. Yeah. Or yeah. like you give them a radio and you put them into squads of eight and you make them go through a six-story building in the darkness. Like you do those sorts of things. Technology enables that. Yeah. What technology shouldn't do is here's your VR headset. <clears throat> So I we have worked in VR. I, <laughs> there is a I direct, huge... I direct yeah. some VR stuff as well. So, yeah. you know, there, there, there are... I, I, We're I not agree. wholeheartedly against no, no, it. No, it's no, about no, making the design There's a big pressure, and I've, been, I've come across this myself at the moment in the department mm. I've just moved from, is there was a huge pressure. Work with the people in VR. That's yeah. what they kept saying is, you're a theatre person, you're involved in immersion, yeah. go and work with them. You must have stuff in common. And it's like, okay, so I had to go with a headset mm. and all of that, and actually I found it deeply alienating and deeply unhaptic in a mm. way that I didn't find interesting. But also, I kept saying over and over again, I'm interested in AR, augmented reality. What I need is the technologies to facilitate interaction, human mm. interaction. I need them to facilitate real things happening within that space. And But trying to bridge that gap with academics who work in that kind of VR space and then the theatre academics is actually a real challenge at the moment. But there's, yeah. there's huge pots of money available for mm. that at the moment. So, of course, there's huge pressure that comes of with course. saying, work <clears> with them. Yeah, But there's also no receiving platform. Yeah. So, like, okay, yeah. great, all of us are making loads of work. That's brilliant. 
but then actually accessing that work at the moment and it's all vignettes it's all like early yeah. film yeah yeah it's all like you know the kind of like nickelodeon it's not very your, portable you put your coin either in. it's, it's also, expensive it's expensive it's sweaty it's dull it's alienating it is very alienating all of that stuff all of that stuff said we what we've been working on doing and i know companies like Punch Drunk have been working on we're we're going it's got so much potential for in a little bit of time it can do X, Y, Z and at the moment actually and I know uh, like yourself and and as a company Difference Engineers work with uh, with Jane Gauntlet the artist who's doing a lot of work in VR um, and you guys um, yourself Andrew was directing a number of those projects um, the it's about actually what what the opportunity is there yeah. But you have to you have to almost get the technology out of the way That's exactly to be able to it. make everything else. It's function. trying to explain <laughs> that the technology shouldn't drive the project. Yeah. What should drive the project are the, the kind of the artistic yeah. things that drive that project anyway, yeah. and then they should be enabled by technology. I've made a really beautiful show on the other side of this fence. Would you mind standing on your tiptoes for the next hour? It is a bit like that. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. The the major problem that VR has at the moment is is that it's you've got different factions trying to learn from different kind of uh, previous art forms. Um, yeah. You've got uh, a strong cinema influence, you've got a strong computer games influence, you've mm-hmm. got a burgeoning theatre kind of yeah. um, part of it. But uh, the real future for it is recognising what it can offer and what it's good at in its own ways, uh, in its own kind of, uh, what the unique things about VR are, and how can it best leverage the lessons that have been learnt in the years and years of theatre and technology and, yeah. and cinema and games yeah. in order to do that because that's what that's what games got good at so mm-hmm. games only really got started to be really considered an art form for the last sort of yeah. you know 15 years is when yeah. the kind of debate properly seemed to kick off when people started accepting it as an art form yeah well I mean well I, say I would that, say I even was, the developers themselves there was a long period yeah. of time where they, they might have considered I, it art but they were never commercially a, a, a lot of people still don't accept it as an art form yeah, and I think it, it's but what when it started to get good was when it realised which when it basically took a magpie approach it started mm-hmm. recognising the shiny bits and the really good bits that fit into its world from cinema, from all of these established techniques, and then recognizing where it had holes that it needed to invent stuff to link it up. Oh my God, have you seen the number of talks that very, very prominent directors have been saying uh, in the film world, which is like, 360, directing for 360 is the craziest thing that any of us have done. And we were literally sat there and we were like, that's theatre. <laughs> what you're talking about is one of the oldest art yeah, forms yeah. in the world. I know, I know, like, I know, this idea of three, you're like, how do we get theater? an audience to look in one place? Oh, Good God, could the answer be lighting? I worked, I, worked with, I worked with a 360 film company and they were absolutely shocked at how quickly we got our shit together when we were basically, you know, we, we built... We built a CCTV system so that we could direct stuff live and we could recognise it because it was an immersive scene. Yeah. We had about 20 performers doing, uh, doing stuff uh, and uh, we, needed, uh, we, we wanted to draw the audience's attention to various points in, in place. So we used really old-fashioned techniques such as somebody walking across your line of vision and drawing your vision subtly to one direction. You know, the oldest, <laughs> the, 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 the oldest directorial technique in the book. <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah, in order to in order to make it happen. And and you know, for us, VR is like 360 filming is super easy. Yeah, of course. Because it's just it's it's doing interactive. It's bodies in, in space. It's, yeah. doing, it's what we do. It's doing interactive and immersive theatre with an audience of one.
fun. You just get everyone to interact with the camera as though it's a person. Yeah. And then it's fine. Yeah. Right? It's so simple. Like, it's so simple. Yeah. And it blew their minds when we started telling them about mm. it. And, 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 and showing them. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, you know... Again, Jane... they're coming from a film background where the, yeah. the shutter is controlled. It's yeah. in, like, the frame of view is a particular locked angle. Yeah. So to, the idea of the consequence, it's a bit like us going and actually deciding that we're going to design our own computer game. The, the mechanics that are involved in the background of that we're not necessarily going to know about, but we can direct it. And it was just hilarious to see a lot of yeah. very principled... Some theatre directors just being like, mm, no idea. This is. I know work. it's really, it's, but you know, <laughs> it's it's good because you know we mm. feel good. So J- Jane and I have directed um, a couple of pieces uh, that I'm just going to mention quickly. Uh, in, the In My Shoes project, In My Shoes Intimacy, which is currently on tour in Australia. It's just been with British Council in South America as part of the Sheffield Doc Fest uh, kind of group that went out there. Uh, it'll be coming to London soon, and that's for two people. At and the, the same details time. are on the website, aren't they? Yeah, that is for two people <laughs> touching and interacting with each other yeah, inside VR. Oh, wow. So, two strangers. That's okay. not a performer and another person. Yeah. That is two people in VR interacting with each yeah. other. So, Great. again, this is the type of thing of like there's an opportunity yeah. there. Absolutely. But this is, this, is where you have, this is where you have like an opportunity that's interesting and you mm. can learn, which is, you know, having, having the audience provide. You know, Having the audience add to the experience for each other oh, is yeah. something. Here. He's yeah. Yeah. I see it. This is a smooth segue. <laughs> Notice the smoothness of yeah. the segue. <laughs> um, it's it's, it's almost back know, into it's, the theatre. He's it's, going to mention heist in about directly, two and a half it's seconds. Directly back, you know, drawing us back to exactly why we started to make this, which we wanted to make it collaborative, right? We wanted yeah, to make it, it so the audience that collaborated with each other <laughs> and actually added to the added to each other's experience yeah. instead of instead of. Uh, being competitive for it. So, so that's when we started to work with teams of audience, mm-hmm. them into giving them collaborative goals, or at least giving them uh, roles within the world, or allowing them to take roles within mm-hmm. the world, which augmented each other. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't everyone trying to occupy the protagonist's seat. It was that they, as a collective, were the protagonist. Right, exactly that. And this is so it's, it's the idea of being able to take you playing yourself, yeah. and then, or, or the facsimile of yourself, however you want to represent it inside the world, um, in an extraordinary situation. Mm-hmm. So that's it, like uh, drama and your real life, when you enter the extraordinary situations, you're usually surprised about how you've acted. It's like a performative version of yourself. Exactly that. But then aren't we always, in a way, performative versions of ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. I hate this concept of like, one true centre, like I've got to focus on being the core of myself. In every situation, for every time, and the way we represent ourselves online. This is is exactly why we did Heist, right? Which was that we picked picked a genre film that Mm -hmm. everyone understood the tropes. Absolutely. Everyone's seen an Ocean's Eleven or something of that kind of ilk. Everyone knows the beats. Everyone knows how everything's meant to pan out. Mm. We picked that deliberately so that people could come in and they could behave in the way that they thought they would behave in a heist film, in that they would perform yeah. themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, like the 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 analog that we, we we normally give is that everyone sits in a horror film and says, "No, don't split it up. Don't go down into the basement. Don't do don't, that. Don't, mm-hmm. don't, don't." Yeah. And we wanted to give them the opportunity to actually do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and we will be in a horror. So film. also, there's an artistic but, reason underlying that as well, which is to say, like, um, if art is the mirror held up to life. You, in an extraordinary circumstance where you leave a production having made choices and you look at yourself and the way in which you existed in that world and how that reflects upon you outside yeah. of it, that is probably some of the most exciting artwork that people could be making now. Absolutely. That's why we continue and, and that's why and, we're and that's what that's, that's what we kind of got a lot out of Heist. We had so many people come out mm. of Heist and basically say to us, 
I was so much shitter at that than I thought I was going to be. I thought I was going to be so good at this. I I knew I knew exactly what I was trying to do, and and I just I just crumbled under the pressure. I ran and I hid and I gave up my friends in the interrogation suite. Like I did exactly everything everything that I I didn't think I would do. do, Yeah. Yeah. So let me just roll it back just for a second for everyone listening. So heist Mm -hmm. was your first piece would you say as yeah. so difference heist, engine hi, well we did a test called of a project called virus which happened initially before it but it's not really something that we kind of like it was literally it was so embryonic and it was something that we were working on a number of different people with but it wasn't formed as as a proper company at that okay, stage okay. um and but then andrew and i were kind of like we started chatting we were like in order to prove all of that theory that we just spent like five sort of 20 minutes talking about we needed a project that could easily hang together that people would understand yeah. because we realised that if you're going to sell tickets to like anyone who makes fringe work, anyone who makes art knows how hard it is to sell. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's the hardest thing in the world to try and get people <clears throat> and like we've both worked selling shows on the fringe at the Edinburgh Festival like in Central London. Bombs on seats. It's the hardest it's... thing. Getting the metro or the time out to pick up the phone to you and actually go yeah do you know what I will come down and have a look is <laughs> and yeah it's like the hardest <laughs> mission in the world. So we were like, okay, what's the easiest thing that an audience would understand, <clears throat> but that also is a little bit controversial, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's also something that we know audiences will understand the journey of for everything that Andrew yeah. was just saying. Um, fundamentally, the structure of what we're trying to do is yeah. not something that they're familiar with. Like, no. it's it's a, it's a it's a really disconcerting experience. If yeah. you, if you think you're showing up to a theatre, like some kind of theatre, or mm-hmm. especially even into immersive theatre, and you come along to heist, we knew that it was going to be really strange for you. Mm. So we had to couch it in this kind of world that you you had so much familiarity in it, you felt so at home with it, Mm. that you would just roll with the weird stuff that we were gonna do. Heist is a bit of a heartache for me because I couldn't get tickets. (laughs) And everyone I talk to talks about heist as well. And for you guys, it blew up in ways I think you Oh, yeah, totally. you so, we did, so for us, I, I know you've talked on the, the podcast previously with Dean Rogers, who's yes, involved. Yes, exactly. Um, so we basically... Can you just talk like pre-heist? Because basically, just before we actually did heist, just to give you... This a will scope, be the longest podcast you've ever recorded. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> <laughs> so pre-heist, in between virus and actually putting heist up, mm. um, we spent probably a year, year and a half, trying yeah. to persuade people to take a punt on heist. They thought yeah. it was mental. Yeah, Everyone yeah. thought we were crazy, yeah. right? And, and Particularly to try and do choice-driven work, yeah. that was it. That was a concept. They were like, "Well, where's the script? We can't give you the script. There isn't one." It's, For them to understand at risk, that stage, it? yeah. it's a massive risk. And it was it was one of those circumstances where we knew that it was right and it was going to be good. Mm-hmm. We just had to get someone to take that risk, and we couldn't <laughs> find anyone to do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, we, in the meantime, we were we were trying to we were basically trying to work out whether whether this was crazy because yeah. everyone was telling us, and we started working with children. We started working with South London Gallery. Yes, well, we kids did. are great because kids will play. Kids yeah. will play in ways that grown-ups won't I don't need to give you a 20-minute spiel and four drinks. <laughs> no, yeah. no, you know what I mean? exactly. Like, you're, you're, like, you're going to have a really good laugh. Get it go. immediately. We, we, yeah. learnt, we, we learnt and we continue to learn. Like, we still do some kids' shows. I was going to say, yeah. Specifically because we get, to, we get to try out new techniques. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the term experimenting on children will make John upset, yeah. but that is exactly what we again. do. Which is, that, you know, if we, can, if we can hold a bunch of kids' attention, and we're talking, like, mm-hmm. between the ages of 7 and 14, wow, yeah, if we yeah. can hold their For attention... five hours? Yeah. Or it's not, it's of, not a performance. It's not a single hour sat in a theatre yeah. space. Frequently yeah. these are for five hours at a time. Three yeah. or four wow. hours. And if we hours. can get them to voluntarily opt into that, and we don't force them, we don't make them, we don't sit them down and listen to them, we, mm. we create these propositions which are just come and join in if you want to and if you think what we're doing is mm-hmm. interesting, mm. and we create a world and we, we, we go and do that. And that 
is some of the most valuable stuff we've learned from well, that Well, they will process. test it to the point yeah. in ways that... For destruction. You, exactly. Yeah, yeah. in so exactly they, the same way that I did for, the, every, for, for money, right? possible thing can we, that so, someone could do. Seeing as this is for academic reasons as well, can, can we add some layers of honesty in here as well, which I think is quite important? Absolutely. So we, at, at that time, had no company and no company, like, identity. We had work that oh, yeah. we'd done separately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um... I convinced Andrew that we would go and stand outside the V&A Museum <laughs> and take and entertain any passing children with some games and we would take okay. photographs of that yeah, yeah. and then put it on our website. And then we went to a conference about immersive interactive work and I was making a small card game at the time um, and they, one of the guys asked about that and then they checked our website and they were yeah. like, you guys work with children? Brilliant, you should come in and work with us. And of course it looked outwardly like we'd work with the V&A. Yeah. Obviously, we had never worked That's with the VNA. We had just oh stood God. outside the VNA. I think it's really important. It's really important to talk about like the amount of graft and cheekiness that goes into. I agree because be people artist. never really talk about they how There's hard a polish that... that everyone likes to put across. Yeah, of course. To be frank, we kill ourselves trying to make the work that we do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's incredibly hard to achieve. And you've got to be really sneaky. We found so uh, there was no community that was willing to make this work. This is another prime example. Yeah. We um. We found, we went and saw a show at Theatre de la Catessin, which was called, uh, which was done by Half Cut and was called Shelf Life. Yes, yeah, and, yeah. And absolutely fell in love with it because you walked into the old BBC radio studios and you went through six floors of this building living a life as a character in this, in this beautifully put together world that so had sentiment good. and meaning and was just so far ahead of what everyone else was making. Yeah. We fell in love with that and with that community. So we were like, well, okay, we need to get in to meet them. So we yeah. started just turning up the building. Yeah. Yeah. And then... We started a podcast, which we never released any episodes of. <laughs> but we interviewed everyone involved. So if, oh, you're wow. ever, so if you're ever trying to get to meet, keep people, that as an archive. That yeah, would be fabulous. So like, there's yeah, there's 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 recordings there with some of the guys because yeah. genuinely we want to meet those artists. We wanted to talk about them about their process. So we were recording it to release. I think I've put two of them out, and there's a yeah. couple that didn't go out at all. Yeah. But the idea was that we would be able to use that as an opportunity to be able to start a conversation and go, we're like you guys, this is the same community. So yeah, there yeah. was, at that time, it, there was Lab Collective, who you guys have spoken to yeah, in the yeah. past. Um, there was Half Cut, um, who are now kind of uh, split up, but Joe Ido from Lab Collective, who was on the podcast, as well as um, Dan Ball, who now works with Theatre Delicatessen, yeah. um, and um, Astor, who's now based in Iceland, but yeah. it should have, <laughs> it's frequently around. Um, they, th that company, as well as uh, Stamp Collective, which is now sadly no longer together, um, there's there's lots of artists who are all making work in that building as a community. Yeah. It's a charity community that Delhi was running to do its own shows and to give these giant spaces to artists. So we pitched Heist initially to Joe Thorpe. To Joe Thorpe from and, and yeah, so no, we no, went Joe in for a meeting well. with with Jess and Roll, um, and they were like, oh, you know, um, there's a floor available. There's productions everywhere else. So we were going to do Heist originally on one floor. Yeah. Uh -huh. And then it fell through. And it fell through, and we were like, ah, so, so, like, uh, which we, it was the closest we'd got, mm. but the response that we got from Joe, especially, which yeah. was, this sounds amazing. Incredible, yeah. This sounds amazing. Uh, I need, I need to make it happen. Like, we need to make it happen. And just because we met of the Dean Rogers at this time as well. Yeah. It was, yeah, obviously, it was uh, yeah. one of the co creators. Is space a big problem as well? Because I yes. find this myself too that. It is the worst. Trying to get problem. programmed in a traditional theatre is just impossible. Oh no, we don't go for being No, exactly. Anymore. So trying to find a, even just a space. I've contacted councils. I've done all kinds of stuff. Come up. Yeah. Please have, let me use a space. We have had in the last 
five months, I would say at least 10 spaces fall through on us. Yeah, yeah. We're ready, we spec budgets, we design specifically so, for those sites, we've, and they we've fall had half through a million constantly. pounds of funding basically yeah. ready to go. We had, we had a show in the States that we were going to do. We had $2 million of funding lined up. Yeah. We lost the space at the last minute, and because of that, it all fell through. Yeah, of course. We got outbid by the NFL, of all things. American football destroyed our dreams. Oh. <laughs> we're not even American geeks. And in America, the tickets are so much more expensive as well, so yeah. you, can, you can make your money back. Yeah, well, it was, it was well, just, well, depends how you cut those budgets. It, it, yeah, it depends. Yeah. Like, it depends. It, it, let's not let's not go into a budgetary. It, it gets it gets. Yeah. <laughs> the budgets are always really like a work of art in themselves. As I say, like I love the space is contingent, isn't it? This is the problem, and with yeah. this kind of work, when it's constructed around a specific space like yeah. that. So we we you need the spaces. The trouble yeah. that we get we get constantly caught because because of the work that we do especially mm. where we try and make the audience protagonists. Mm-hmm. Um, we are constantly trying to keep down down audience numbers yeah, right? yeah, yeah we're trying to keep it intimate we're trying to make it as close to what they can do as possible mm. and also you know so just to give you an idea we also mentioning no names about the rest of the immersive industry um there there have been like various discussions which have happened around paying people and and those kinds of debates yeah right? so yeah. on scud there is a massive thing about a specific company's approaches to volunteers right. so so yeah. we specifically have um we founded ourselves on a couple of principles one of which was that we were going to like it's all about the audience it's all about the audience experience yeah. we wanted to make sure that everything was about that so we keep the numbers of people we don't try and claim that we've got 300 people all being the protagonists at the same time yeah. unless we can unless we can unless genuinely can do that, that yeah we're not going to pretend because that's that's not cool um secondly uh everyone that works with us gets paid itc or london living wage minimum yep. brilliant um, uh, and we don't take unpaid work uh, we we have an intern at the moment we take we one intern a year yeah and we've only had we we haven't had an intern yet who hasn't gone on to be on the payroll <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. So um, we, and only if we can offer something genuine for that. We don't take volunteers to support the uh, running of our shows either. Um, we, speci- we, we kind of, uh, we also, in terms of ticket price for the audience that uh, turn up, we have the rule that if we couldn't afford or wouldn't save up for it when we were poor and couldn't, um, and we're starting out making mm-hmm. this work, we don't charge that ticket price. Let me just run a recap for two seconds here, because yeah. what you've probably just heard is one of the worst business proposals <laughs> that's ever, ever existed. No, no, it's, <laughs> not, it's not. What it is, is it's, it's a really, really clear set of rules of how we want to be as a company. But okay. that's, a, every, that's ethical. It's, right. It's that's, ethical. But then, but, the, so, okay, so. but then what we do is we then construct everything around our shows and everything around the way that we run around those principles, okay. and we make them work, yeah. because it's possible. It yeah, is yeah, not. Yeah, it's yeah. not impossible. It's not going to make you rich no, for starters. No, no, no. no that's not and true. it's also so that there are two things. I think. Uh, well, okay, yeah, I, no, disagree, I disagree. I disagree. No, it's that. possible. Okay, hold on, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> There's one thing I want to say, which is first, there are companies who um, have made large-scale work using nothing but volunteers, and that is the purpose of their work. Yeah. We have no issue with that. It's more when some people are being paid, other people aren't being paid. Some people are being told that it's for an educational benefit, and it's not. Yeah. And again, we're external to those companies and Exploitation is unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Also, to be frank, you're, like, as an industry, if we can't pay people, we will not survive. Exactly. We can't survive. 
So if you can't pay your performance, if you can't pay well, your we're not crew, an industry if we're not, not an industry. Exactly. We, do, we achieve absolutely nothing. So that's the commitment that we drive to. And what it means is that there are huge artistic ideas and ambitions that we cannot fulfill. Yeah. Yeah. And also we want audiences will frequently turn up to work expecting the punch drunk seven story style building. Mm -hmm. Um, and but and yet the ticket price. So we're we're constantly arguing. And when I say it's the worst business model, what I mean is there's a constant like negotiation between ticket price, audience throughput, um, audience level of experience, building, and paying for everyone. Yeah. So you're constantly shifting that diagram. And so sometimes it will be like, and if you're trying to keep ticket prices down, which is what we want to do as well, it's really tough. That is really it's tough. Really, really hard. And it, like if there's if there's a, ever a question of like why haven't we been making more shows. It's because we want to make the right damn shows yeah. for the right reasons. But it's really interesting that you say that because all of my students say to me, I teach, I taught a, a unit on immersive at mm. Portsmouth, and they kept saying, we can't afford to go to any of the shows. One, we have yeah. to travel to London yeah. because that's where everything is. Buy £100. Yeah, instantly. And yeah. they're like, sometimes we have to stay overnight because they finish too late. And then oh. we have the ticket price. Yes. Which, for a lot of the big shows that they will want to go to... 16 they, yeah, they can't afford. They, yeah. Students literally can't afford that yep. at all. So it's hugely prohibitive, I think, with some of the big shows. Absolutely. The price. And and even as a researcher, I have to try and go to everything. Mm. I can't. I, I, I can't afford to do that. Yeah. I can't facilitate paying, nope. you know, mm. two hundred pounds every week to go and see different it, shows. It is viable to work in the way in which we're working. There are a number of other companies yeah. who are looking, who are doing the same sort of thing. And we're not yeah, saying we're the first. We're just saying we're one of the proudest of trying to achieve it. Yeah. We want to see it happen because it has to move the industry yeah. forward. If we don't say these things then and people, will then people, to get think, that people will either think it's easy or not yeah. understand how like not understand how we're making it yeah. work and genuinely what happens is and the, the this is all linked into the, the the building discussion as well which is that it's we cannot run a business model without knowing the building that we're going to be in no, it's very difficult like because not. we we need to know what experience we can make which will allow us to do what audience numbers, which mm -hmm. will allow us to then work out how much we can afford to spend. And it's, it's so many, yeah. there are so many moving parts to it. It's, but it's like, it, it's, a, it's a continually moving continuum, which we have to constantly be tweaking and adjusting. And the building is the thing that actually holds the most sway in that, right? Yeah, yeah. If, if we find the right buildings, we can make everything work. If we don't find the right buildings, it becomes very, very hard to make the models work. I will also say that, you know, whilst we've laid out all of these difficulties, we're also in the very, very proud situation. We've never lost money on a show. No. And we've, uh, and we are, we're registered as a limited company. Mm -hmm. Our intention is, one of the reasons like we want to pay everybody properly, because at the end of the day, we do want to get to a point where we can pay everybody West End minimum. Yeah. Yeah. We want to get to a point where these things are commercially viable. Um, and that's that's a very hard road to go down. Well, in the current climate as well, I think the arts are under a lot of pressure to participate in the creative yes. economies in yes. that way and okay. to show themselves as valuable and to show yeah. themselves as something which should be supported and which should be mm. receiving funds, but also that can self-sustain itself as a future. Yes, yeah, yeah quite. But I mean, those those things are incredibly hard to actually have happen. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Both artists and also... so. But they take infrastructure but and they take support and time, don't agreed. they, to build. And it's, it's a thing of, as well of risk-reward because... Yes. Um, the risk of, and this is so, uh, you guys, a lot of you guys who will be listening, I suppose, maybe students or think you're coming into this work or starting your own companies. Um, other people, maybe audiences, maybe audiences who are just really into immersive theatre. Every time a company puts up work, they are risking their entire company. Yeah, they are. Every time. And we're not talking about that at all. Every maker is sitting yep. very proudly behind their reputation and none of us are actually going, do you know what? When I put up my next show, 
the amount of money, because there's two ways that the, the, the budgets break down into two different sections, capitalization and running costs. Yeah. The shows run for stupid periods of time, like six months, three months, two months. Mm -hmm. They have to, to be able to recoup their capitalization costs. Yeah, of course. Because they're so expensive to put together. Yeah. So if we put a show up and it doesn't sell tickets, we're in a very tricky financial position. Yeah, of course. Because you'll make huge losses. And your budgets, your break-evens, as in like the number of ticket sales percentage to uh, you breaking even, on, and that's literally just paying other people that are involved. Maybe not even sometimes your company. Maybe it's just paying for materials. Yeah, yeah. That's not even the ongoing costs that you've contractually committed to. Just hitting some of those break-even points on some shows, and this is not on the shows that we actually confirm and do, but on some shows that we've spec'd, they're 80 or 90%. And there are companies out there doing those. Yeah. And this is why you sometimes see all of a sudden a company that's doing very well just folds just suddenly folds, yeah. and takes its audience's money with it. It's because they took a risk and the risk didn't pay and off. Couldn't deliver. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's there's you know there's a slightly there's a rosier part of that as well, which is also yeah. I would say that the 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 theatre industry needs to learn a bit better as well, right? Mm. Which is that the the theatre industry as a whole uh, has become so entrenched in the West End and Fringe theatre models, which are, you know, the they fetishise one number, which they is the break-even point. And they 60%. also don't work very well for these forms. No, no. no. and they, 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 the 60% is what they're going for, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I've never understood why 60% makes sense in the Fringe theatre sense, uh, and I don't, I, de I understand why it exists in the West End, mm -hmm. um, because it's it's a question of quantity and it's it's a tra it's a traditional supply and demand problem, right? Which is that I have a two thousand seat theatre, the odds of me selling that out or coming close every night are almost minimal. Yeah. So I need to have a break even point that makes makes it make sense to keep running. Because it's not fifty fifty. Because fifty fifty. Okay, could happen. Yeah. Sixty percent is a punt, but it's an acceptable punt. Right. <laughs> but it's like it's not it, like that. That number it doesn't it doesn't come from anywhere. That number of sixty percent it's just it's just made. It's a it's a comfort point. It's a comfort point. And the thing that I'm always trying to point out to our investors who have done theatre in the past, and I've gone and and, and I will continue to make this case because I think expectations need to change around immersive work. I agree. Is that you're never going to achieve sixty percent, or, or rather the odds of all shows being able to achieve 60% break-even, I think, is minimal. Like, you can't deliver it that easily. No. There's no room, wiggle room in that. There's no real contingency space. You will probably end up overspending your budgets because you're trying to force it to work, or you'll create something that doesn't work. But the expectation of the industry needs to change on that, which is that the, the immersive world is talking about massively smaller numbers, right? Yeah. 60%... 50% of a 2,000 seat theatre is 1,000 tickets. I need to sell 1,000 tickets a night. Mm. Show me the immersive experience that comes even close to that, mm. right? You, you're talking about even Punch Trunk's work, what they top out at 400, 500 a night for yeah. the Drowned Man, something yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, 600 by the end, I think they were, yeah, they were yeah. doing something like that. But you take them down to six, you take them down to 50, 60%, and they're trying to sell, they're trying to make get by on 200 to 300 tickets. That is almost, that's so low. The expectation of being able to deliver those kind of ticket sales, I think, if you look at the pure number of tickets, and that's what, you know, whenever we get depressed about the budgets that we're running, and we get depressed at the, mm. like, we've run this, we really want to do it, it's got a break even of 70, oh, we're not, like, that's a bit tricky. I look at the, the bottom line. This is, I need to sell 10,000 tickets over six months. 10,000 tickets over six months. That's not a big number. That's no. not a big number of actual people. No. Right? And that's what we need to shift the industry towards, is yeah. the audience is out there.
Oh yeah, they want this is the thing, the capacity meets like our capacity to deliver work to yeah. audiences is not as strong as the demand to actually Yeah, have the amount work. of shows I just literally can't get tickets for because they sell out. Yeah. yeah. Also some are secretive as well so trying mm. to get access to them is a challenge well, we're in a really weird quagmire at the moment because mm. i when we first started doing this work and it started to become apparent to us because heist was oh my god heist blew up, didn't it? It, just, well, it, was, it was it was a three-week test yeah we put the tagline together me dean and andrew sat in a room we put the taglines together which were like for one night live a life of crime we put a single image which was some friends trying out a yeah, thing yeah. near a hole uh-huh. And then a video, which was boom. which was me running around <laughs> looking like a moron. If you want to see why John's not an actor, <laughs> please look at the YouTube. original trailer for Heist. Still on YouTube. I mean, every trailer. Gone. I mean, all our trailers. Tickets were gone. So, so yeah, what like happened that. was um, a an emailing um, a young twenty to th- like twenty to forty somethings emailing our like newsletter, picked it up. Right. Called the Nudge. They're legends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Nudge picked it up, and this was back when people had only they just done. They were like, we did Stella's Stella Black. And like when we put that out to the nudge, it sold out. And we were like, honestly, we've heard this from people saying that. Like we've heard this before. Yeah. And then we put the tickets live. And I called Andrew because I was convinced <laughs> the system was faulty. Yeah. Because in <laughs> one hour, all of them gone. sold for yeah, the three week run. Gone, gone, gone. And it continued that for nine months. Sold yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. That's we, we sold we sold nine months of tickets in a cumulative period of time, which was under thirty six hours yeah. of being on sale. Yeah, yeah. We and had we had like there was a ticket on there were tickets on sale for thirty six hours over the course of nine months. That's why nobody could get a ticket. I know, I know, it's crazy. Right. But like, then this is also when we started it, this is we sold all of those tickets. We hadn't hired a cast. We were stood in a set that we were funding ourselves <laughs> that hadn't been like, finished. Uh. We we self funded heist. Mm. It didn't come from anyone else's pockets. It came from ours. Mm-hmm. Other, all the other shows that we've gone on since then, we've like there's been way way different models. Like, we had been, the we best worst meeting grown. ever, which yeah. was we literally sat down in a room and all of us were depressed because we realised that we now needed to actually deliver a thing that the expectations were massive for. Now. Yeah, like, huge. Like, exactly. There were huge expectations. We just kind of congratulations. We looked sold out. Don't hit up. Yeah, we, <laughs> yeah we, we, so I remember writing on a whiteboard was basically like we, we had a column which was success, yeah. and there were two items on it. And the first one was commercial. We put a tick next to that one, and then we went artistic and with big question mark. <laughs> <laughs> so we were literally said that, and like so the way in which we made that show work because we didn't have money. They did delicatessen. Basically, we sat down in a meeting with them early on. This is before they agreed to take the show, and we, they, we were like we pitched them the show, and they went. How many floors do you want? Yeah. And we said six. No, four no, no. at that four at that stage. It was four initially and then we expanded. Um and we started there, but we'd only ever built for black box studio spaces. Well, to, to uh, in the interests of honesty, like one of the, one of one of the uh, one of the semi official uh mottos of the company um is, is based <laughs> around the fact that actually we didn't we didn't say four. What we said was uh, what we went in with the expectation because it had fallen through with Delhi once before when we mm-hmm. were talking about one floor. Yeah, yeah. They, we were completely oh God, unprepared for yeah. them turning to us and saying, "Right, so how many floors do you want?" And John and I turned to each other, and we 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 kind of just like had this unspoken moment, and we just turned back and said, 
How many have you got? Yes, that was it, actually. That was it, yeah. How many have you and got? And they said, Brilliant. well, you could probably do four, no problem. And like, uh-huh. yeah, four sounds, yeah, four sounds fine. Like, poker face, like, desperately trying to seem like we knew what we were doing. When we were, like, mentally just going, yeah. what the hell do we do with four floors? Like, we don't have the budget to, like, kit out four floors in the style of punch. I don't have the, we didn't yeah. have the We didn't have the budget to put that kind of money in. No, no. We, we were working with an amazing designer who, so who we had, who's Jane Brody. She's mm. the... Um, she, she's uh, currently, I think she's art director on Mike Lee's new film. She mm, works brilliant. mainly in Hollywood now uh, and is amazing. Uh, and uh, <laughs> she's, she's an old friend. I met her at the BAC YPT. Mm. That's, that's how tight-knit that crew yeah, is. Yeah. That's so why I say with these, yeah. like, these communities coming together. So like the BAC has this massive community, which it frankly does, we're yeah, now yeah, yeah. a part of in the work we're doing. The Delicatessen had this incredible interactive immersive theatre community yeah. before anyone else was having that sort of community yeah there are these little kind of hot spots where everything is kind yeah. of bubbled out of which show, I think is so our show wouldn't have been possible without the help of like of Joe Thorpe and like yeah. Roland Smith and Jess and like the way in which and Dabble like the way in which those guys supported us they literally were up ladders screwing stuff into walls when we couldn't afford to pay them to do stuff yeah, yeah. like they, that show was built and this is something that me and Dean and Andrew are always very like we always recognise is the fact that like that show wouldn't exist if a community hadn't come yeah. together. Yeah. We had no money, we had yeah. crap or luck, but all of a sudden tickets started to sell and God knows we just had to go with it. And this is why this is why the ethics of it are really important to us because we started out from a point where literally we were um, we were doing all of the money got spent on actual stuff. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, hardly anyone was actually paid. We were paying we were paying we had a bunch of friends who were helping us do construction um, and we were paying them in lunch. We is it that lunch? process then you think that's mm. consolidated that way of working oh, for you then? Totally. It, it, because was, of how you had to kind well, of it was, it was the moment. draw and, on everything. And it, like was, that. it was the fact that we were drawing on it like that to build it in the first sense because we were doing it like we had we had a lovely leisurely build process we had two months two in months the building where we could build wow well, that's okay that's that's the only way we could do it on the budget that oh we had God. and they didn't have anything that was going in these floors at that time so we're like okay well we'll just do a staggered build and we'll but start also, doing it we were working 12 hour jobs so yeah. I was working I used to work 12 hours a day at parliament doing yeah. their IT infrastructure so for five days on and then five days off so yeah. for the five days off I would be physically up a ladder building the yeah. set mm-hmm. and then I'd be back to work again. But then when the show's on, I do my 12 hour shift and I go straight to the show. Yeah, yeah. And like, we were honestly, running the I, show. I kicked in the toilets while yeah. we were making yeah. that show. Like most of my sleep was gotten while I was yeah. working for Parliament. I think a lot of audiences, especially listening, other practitioners will know this this yeah. story. Yeah. You know, most of us are working full time yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. jobs, professional jobs, mm. while putting on. But, so this producing work like this is this is this is why it got important to us was because we saw how much work everyone was putting in because everyone believed Mm. right and it was the belief and it was purely belief until we put tickets on sale and then as soon as we put tickets on sale and they sold out we basically we had a meeting and we 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 made a call and it was basically well you when you're like this you've kind of got two options right you either try and grow fast Mm. and deal with these problems like like adults, like a proper theatre company, yeah, yeah. You pay everyone, and then you like have these strict kind of policies. And you have to be, you have to be like grown up about it. Mm-hmm. Or we could try and rinse this for as much money as we can and and just prop it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and we're extremely proud of the fact that we down, went down the former route, right? We well, we redesigned that... and recapitalized and re <clears throat> and yeah. raised everyone's wages with each iteration. Every single every single yeah. time we extended, 
we increased we increased wages by about twenty five percent each. That's yeah. fabulous. Um, and also, but the reason part of the reason we're doing that we took on more floor space. Yeah. yeah. We raised the ticket price slightly, but largely that went back into people's pockets. Yeah. What it allowed us to do is we actually heist was one show externally. For us, it was three or four. Mm-hmm. Because we literally tore it down a bit. Well, the first time is because the set was built of like gin, tears, and love. Yeah, like, of course. So yeah, absolutely. It was ready to pe- like after like four, like a month. Oh. It was ready to peel off the walls. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, so, so, like, so, for example, um, we cannibalized parts of the building in order to oh, build Jesus. the set. Yeah. So, so in heist, one of the floors was a server farm. Right, yeah. it was in the dark. There was a, a thing that you had to go and do, and you had to go and hide. They basically creep through this darkened server and lots mm. of lights and sound and. This kind of booming fan noises, the extractor fans around. Those, uh, all of the electronics from that were us going down into the basement of the building, taking apart the old BBC like mainframe server, server racks yeah. downstairs, yeah. And all of the networking equipment, and basically manually dragging it up four floors of stairs. It was five floors of stairs because <laughs> you were coming from the basement. Oh so we physically, and the lifts were broken. Oh yeah. Of course. So, and I don't of think, course. A, 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 the a lift heavy... was full of sand from the half cut show. They yeah. filled it full of sand and then it wouldn't go up and down anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Just got stuck so no one could use it anymore. Oh, God. Um, so yeah, so like we physically carried those up and down the stairs to the point where, I mean like, we, we there, was a, there was a kind of spirit at that point as well of like, well, we're just going to do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, can't hang health and safety. I'll just carry it up the stairs on my back. Mm-hmm. Just stay away from the stairs while I do it. Yeah, like, yeah, it was yeah. it was that sort of thing. Like, we, we everyone came through that in, in such a, an amazing community way. And in pieces. So John still yeah. has back problems from that. I do. And yeah. I got pneumonia from yes, that show. Oh like, God. I slept in a building without any heating yeah. one night. Well, I, I slept in a lobby a number of times, yeah. a lot of nights, because we had no other choice. But there was one night I accidentally, we, we moved a server stack out and we pulled the... If you do immersive interactive theatre, you learn about the infrastructure of buildings so quickly, it's insane. <laughs> yeah. We you walk in, that building. you know where CCTV cameras are, you can tell exactly how the power routes through the floor, you can tell exactly where all the dry, like the dry risers are in a building, mm-hmm. you know how to cable and put network infrastructure in, in about two and a half minutes. Yep. Like, you, you have to learn this, you know what a drop ceiling is and why it's so good. <laughs> oh, go and Google a drop ceiling, it's so good. Oh, and why they're raised the, oh, floor, they're the best thing in the world. Raised flooring. Oh, raised flooring. Um, but like hide so of, many sins, yeah. so yeah. many yeah. sins are hidden in like uh, raised floors and drop ceilings. Um, but like yeah, so we pulled the server stack out and we ruptured the sprinkler system, which was should was had been drained. But of course, there's still yeah, water course, in them. Yeah, of course. So I had to, and it was on a, the live electricity points for the <laughs> server room. So I sat there and did a night vigil. I literally sat cross-legged on the floor trying to make sure the building didn't burn down. Oh my god! Because of course, they, like yeah, there were fire regulations and stuff mm-hmm. in there, but. If there's no one in the building and the fire alarm goes off, and also we're the stupid young company who's been given the opportunity. So if we well, burn the sodding building down, yeah. we're liable. And that's and the thing is, once how... the tickets are sold, once you've got that, yeah. that you either step up and yes. you make your show. Or it breaks you. Or it breaks you. Yeah. It's done. And that's that's always the way. I think it, yeah. it seems to happen afresh every time. I don't mm. know about you guys, but it happens with my company. Every time we put a show, we put ourselves on the line financially every time we make a show we put ourselves on the line artistically and in terms of risk as well well so the thing is it also got us into really um it it, it got us into an amazing place and and also it made us so hungry Mm -hmm. Uh, because just Mm -hmm. the 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 demonstration and the faith that this is what's possible mm-hmm. and when when you've seen just all of the people that you know and love come together and build something that yeah that just takes off it's addictive 
mm. and and you get addicted to the adrenaline yeah. of trying to go bigger and bigger and bigger right mm-hmm. so you know and that was also actually i think if there's anything that can be learned from okay yeah. if you do find some success i'd say our first year the 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 business proposition was correct we turned to each other and we were like the next project that we do has to be bigger than heist was yeah because we have to grow like punch drunk yeah. grew yes there's a massive capacity problem with that yeah Mm-hmm. which is that we're a small company sat on a limited amount of funds because we didn't choose to make money off the show like other people would have done. Yeah, of course. So you can't then for, go, therefore go out and hire a massive team to make shit happen for you. Um, and also, Boris Johnson had okayed all of the building in London. Yeah, that really screwed us over. So, so we just couldn't, like capacity-wise, yeah. like we were trying to find space to do shows yeah. and yeah. we still struggle to this day to, to, try and, to try and do it. So contextually, the reason that we were in that building was the fact that it was scheduled for demolition yes. and uh, it was, it was, they were waiting yeah. for planning permission to come through for the replacement. Mm. Such right. a common right. story. Yeah. Was, was, was in, the yeah, same, yeah. Yeah. So we, we were in that building and that's why we kept getting extensions and why we had no idea how long the thing was going to run. So Heist would still be running to this day if they hadn't knocked Not down, down the, the building, building finally. Yeah. Right. So literally, we, we stripped it out. We stripped out our set. We stripped out everything else. We had about a weekend to do that. And then the building, they came in with sledgehammers like the next day. Like yeah, we, we literally pulled it all apart. It was, it was gone. Like in it's such a short But everybody I know who works in those kind of yeah. spaces are in exactly that position. Right. They only seem to get access to it yeah, yeah. reasonably and it, because it's going to be demolished. And but at the end of that period. That as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> every single time you're the last thing that building sees before it's I know. It's just it's like, incredible. Uh, nah, like, like a party. Bang. Bye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, oh, man, we had such up. a good party in that building to say goodbye to it. Yeah, it was amazing. Champagne on the roof. But 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 then you know at that point in time, so given that context, Boris Johnson basically green mm. like rubber stamped basically every build big building project yeah. in central okay, London. Yeah. So, no, so all of the sense. demolitions happened at the same time, and there were no spare buildings waiting. Oh. So we had a year yeah. of just oh, no buildings. Birmingham. I've only been there well, six weeks, but as I'm moving around the city, I'm like. Yeah. Can I just tell, so the, the point that I was making earlier on as well is, you know, we spent a year looking for buildings. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we learned then really, we were trying to chase and, and up our capacity. It was the right thing to be doing and it was worthwhile having gone down that route. If you're a theatre company though, if you're artists, just get on and make work. Yeah. And that's <laughs> the thing, the thing that you, we like... We've, we've done some smaller projects, we've done some bigger <coughs> projects, we've got massive projects in the line. We've, in the time when, between doing certain shows, we've had like projects for like 1.2 million with advertising companies that are going to go on and do X, Y, Z. Like, it's possible that any of those things could have come off in that time period. But also, what we started to get was hungry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. bored. And PR companies don't work with PR companies. <laughs> really? Well, okay. Okay, we worked with a great PR company for Battlefield Hardline. The, what, the thing that I'm frustrated by and that we, I go on about, we go on about a lot, I suppose, is PR companies are way bigger than we are as artists. Mm-hmm. What tends to happen is they'll go, hey, can you come and do this for massive organisation or massive computer game launch? Yeah. And then can you spend a lot of time specking the budget, putting everything together and then costing everything? Like literally go through all of the fine detail. We want you to generate the artistic proposal. Sometimes we worked on one for two months and none of that, none of that is paid. No, I Only know, paid when they land the commission. But they're dealing with such big clients, that's how they support their companies. Again, this isn't really We're talked not. about either in terms of research, in terms of arts council, yeah. in terms of all funding, the amount of hours mm. and words. I've written, just in the last two years of applying for funding that have not been successful. I can show you a full hard drive of proposals that may never happen. I've written more than my yeah. PhD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. And that's yeah. crazy. That's and insane. That is just all your time you put in night and yeah. everyone I speak to is exactly yep. the same. Yeah. The amount of time that goes into prepping, yeah. 
for potentially not achieving hundreds of concepts we've done hundreds of hours hundreds of words thousands of words and we've 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 basically like we spent the last year saying no to everything now because we we just wanted to make Mm -hmm. that we had maybe two three of of a hundred or more come Mm. off and like we just got you know and and when somebody emails you out of the blue saying there's this amazing opportunity of course you're interested of course when someone calls and they're like hey we're from ea and the battlefield series yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. we were like okay it's a shame the game turned out to be a bit rubbish but like um (laughs) we're not allowed to say that he gets his controversial moments my controversial moments don't directly piss off people (laughs) Apart um, from you, to be fair, you're the, you're the target audience. Yeah, that's fine. Um, no, like it, it, genuinely, it was um, that was you get that call and you go, oh my god, and we want to, yeah. like, we want to make that, yeah, yeah, we yeah, make that world come to life. And we've still taken a lot of those calls. But also, I think there's a weird one. There's a there's a number of companies out there who specialise in doing this now, mm-hmm. and they cost an insane amount of money. Yeah, I know. But we've seen them. We tell them what it costs to make it as proper artists. Yeah. And then very frequently they go, oh, we thought you were going to do this for like. Um, uh, five thousand pounds. So to give to to give and it's you, it's like, do you want a bouncy castle and a magician? Yeah, because that's what you're paying for. Like, you won't even get a good DJ for five thousand. This happens, and not not on the same scale remotely as you, but Vex mm. will get get to, like, we've got a week, sixty pounds. Could you, you know, yeah. do a one-on-one show? No. no. <laughs> no, no. But we're at that point in our no. career where we kind of go, we have to go. Okay, but only because we've got something no, don't. developed and so banked. No. Oh, if you've got it in the bank already, fine. Yeah, yeah so yeah. we can kind of adjust it maybe slightly fine. to fit. Yeah, but the, the problem with yeah. that is you screw over the rest of the industry. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. So and you're always is, really is, stuck in this, that awkward trying, position. We're, we're, you know, with, with the group of people, and it's a point that I'm pushing a lot. Is well, commercially, that, I wouldn't do it, but often it's mm. attached to... The, ac- the academy yeah yeah uh, in I'm some fair. way and it, the I'm pressure sure. is coming but from somewhere the trouble, the trouble is but it's that really nonchalant attitude of like oh yeah you've got three days can you just make us a little immersive yeah. thing and you're like <laughs> but what do you think it's that kind of it's that kind of it's that kind of approach that we need to re-educate people about, yeah, about absolutely. This, this, this this kind of thing because you can't you know you don't go to you you don't go to Christopher Nolan and say, "Hey, uh, I want to make an advert, please. Here's two grand. Here's what two are you going to do for yeah, me?" Yeah. Right? Like, and I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that we are Christopher Nolan, but I'm saying that together in a long coat, everyone's on shoulder. No, we actually are Christopher Nolan. Everyone needs to every. Everyone needs to get to a point where we just agree that these things cost a certain amount of money. But it's about being honest as well. So when I, if I get approached like that, I'll say, we have been working on this show for a year. Mm. We've developed it in these other spaces and we've done this. So what we're going to be showing here is literally going to be a workshop version of this. Because and even then, you know, money's been spent on it. Time has been spent on it. That show wasn't made in three days. Yep. But people will come to you with three days and say, can you make a show? So those expectations... But you're also three are. days of work. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're pressing yourself at three days of work for £60. Pounds. Yeah. Why yeah. would you do that? It's crazy. That's, it, it's, <laughs> I don't get paid that the fact, the fact yeah. that we can, we can actually like internally think that that's a rational course of action is awful. Like, yeah. The opportunity yeah. cost in that is awful. Like The amount that you could be making, like the, the amount of work that you could just be making for yourself yeah. and, and doing something better... And, and making it making it the project that you want it to be, rather than trying to crowbar something, even if it's already there, into somebody into some, else's somebody format. else's format, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and do that for such a you know a tiny amount of money, which yeah. is just undervaluing everything about Hugely. you and the industry. Absolutely. It's like, why 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 do we even think about these things? Like, but these why? come from arts organizations yeah, yeah, as well yeah. and they need to understand as I well so. they need it to is they, difficult they need can we all if anyone is listening and you get into this scenario know what your day rate is 
Yeah. Know what your day rate costs and what your actual costs are and what actual proper people yeah. cost. Because they like, cost ITC minimum. They work. They work. They cost more than that if you're doing a commercial. People gig. are astonished when you put those things, especially students, when they start looking into those things and yeah. they're like, "Oh my god!" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah these things so cost less. money because you're paying for expertise. You're yes. paying for yeah. people, proper professionals, who know make, what they're you doing. You can't just do this. And you know, I, it, it, even even the the real kind of cognitive dissonance that exists in these things is 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 astounding because we we once were approached to do uh, another computer game launch uh, now they came to us and said oh we want you to think big we want you to think big like it's not money... big to me i mean that's that's no, 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 no. big we want yeah. you to we want you to think they big. were like no, it's a lot, lot of money we want you to think big um we were thinking uh like there's this uh we want you to put helicopters in it uh, and explosions. Can you do helicopters and explosions? I was like, <laughs> I am, I am on board with this. We I used to work it. We now know how much helicopters and explosions yeah, cost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually, no helicopters aren't that bad. Not as bad as you think. Might yeah. think. Well, yeah, so yeah. we priced in basically. We 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 know how much it's going to cost us to blow up a car ten times a night. Yeah. Uh, which is something that I'm just eternally grateful. <laughs> that's incredible. That exactly. Um, that's a great and, thing and it, to it, know. It, it's a brilliant thing to know. And we went and we costed this thing, and we thought we were coming in. We thought, okay, well, you know, this is this is big, but like, let's do three tiers of this. So we yeah. did three tiers of it. We said, okay, you're gonna have your helicopters and explosions. We're gonna take everyone. It's gonna be absolutely incredible. They're gonna be helicoptered down to Kent. They're gonna burst. Like it's gonna be oh full on like human on alien combat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It's gonna be astounding. It's gonna cost you half a million pounds. That's, Which is that's not not a lot that of money. money right? yeah. Oh my that's god! What we not thought. For what we, this, not that's for what, what we thought. That's what we We can deliver a helicopter and explosions. It's not Age of Ultron budget, is it? Do you know what I mean? Exactly. That's, it's like nothing. Then we when we went okay for like two hundred grand, we can do this version. It doesn't have a helicopter. Mm-hmm. And but then, things do still explode. And yeah, and then for a hundred grand, you can have like one explosion. It's not quite as jazz hands as everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a helicopter there, but it doesn't take off. It's just sitting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then so we did that. We did that pitch. And we had like wow. a full artistic concept yeah, for yeah, all yeah. of that. And they came back. We haven't been paid for any of that. Oh well. no, absolutely. no, of course not. And that takes a lot of time yeah, and, and, and effort we need to start, putting that together. We need to start yeah. charging for that period yeah. as well as an industry because our ideas are valuable. Like yeah. we need to start treating our ideas and time. In just generating well, that's consultation, right? In reality, <laughs> yes, mm. and we don't get treated like that. No, we academia to... is exactly the same. We do not get valued for our consultation. So how much? How much? How much as artists should be putting on our time? Wait, but like that's one hundred and fifty and three hundred pounds a day. Just putting out. There. Yeah, <laughs> depends on what the project to, is. To go, but but the the genuine amount of money that they had earmarked for the budget, their upper end, their upper end was fifteen grand. Yeah. And that's big. And they that's thought helicopters. they thought that they were going to get gen- genuinely. I sent them a, a pricing list for a heli- a single helicopter ride down to Kent, yeah. which cost over ten grand. Yeah, yeah. You can barely go in simulators for precisely. Money. And they they and, and they were like they they were surprised that we were we were came out to such a high cost, and that that is the that is the. That demonstrates to me that th- these well, people just don't understand how much how anything costs, how much mm. anything costs. And unless <laughs> we stand and say, no, like I'm not doing this unless you pay me some cons- consultation rate for the concepting, and then mm-hmm. like and you, you're actually aware of how much budget we're actually gonna take for this, and you're not gonna tell me late on in the stage that I'm pricing like about two orders of magnitude outside your ballpark. Yeah, yeah. Like 
that's the minimum amount a that ballpark we ballpark to begin with exactly. would have been useful right. just yeah, thinking yeah, big I'd have thought a couple of mil want a ballpark here's money for a hot dog <laughs> we really wanted to do the project we thought we were under, we were yeah. underpricing it at half yeah yeah I, I can't believe it was only that much money I'm like oh my yeah, god I know yeah, it's like some people spend more than on their birthday party. Yes, they do. <laughs> and, and this is, you know, so when 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 we've come around to doing, you know, more of these projects, we we have so many criteria that basically mean that we're, whether we're willing to do them or not now. And yeah. we've had we've had amazing opportunities, and we're really really happy. You know, we've got a show coming up soon again, which is People's Revolt at Tower of London, just to work in a in a UNESCO World Heritage site. I know, you know, it's incredible. It is a pain in the ass, but it's incredible. Mm. Um, you're not allowed to attach things and we're yeah, not we, touch we, things. We can't, <laughs> we can't build set. No, exactly. At all. Luckily, we're in a castle, but like, they're, they're, they come with it all, all kinds of... Everyone has their own like specific uh, kind of set of... Uh, issues every project that, that comes but I'm just so impressed with that because I Vex are terrible for it and I'm terrible for it I if someone asked me to do something I just do it and mm. I and don't I always feel it, like kids. I want to make it just say don't no. do it because just I've got in a situation where I want to make work I want to get it facilitated even getting 60 pounds at this stage yeah. is the only way we can start to be able to get sure. stuff out there mm. and it's frustrating why should I have to well, just, you know what? You just value myself you st- so way. it's about taking which knocks you want to take on for the right reasons exactly because when you're starting out I worked for free constantly yeah, yeah. I'm willing to Me work too. for free on my own art no. but I'm a co- we're a company now yes, no, we exactly. have mouths to feed a company it's, doesn't operate like that it's, it's, no you see I make one on one so it's different no so it's, it's, no, it's and, not different it's me and a table no you're both wrong you're both incredibly wrong about this because what you're doing is you're setting the industry up for failure because what yeah, happens know, is you're doing a project for sixty pounds. You're working for something for free, and even if it's even in a personal capacity, whatever it is, somebody does something for that. What whatever you deliver there, that sets expectation and pricing for the next thing that comes along, yeah. and you're taking work away from somebody else because you're because of that. What would happen if you said no? They would say they would either reassess whether they can afford to do it, yeah. or they would have to go to somebody else, right? And somebody else would. What you'd want is somebody else to say no. That's what. That's it costs. what we want. And you're then right. you get That's to exactly reassess what you want because to what do you're that. doing. The fact that you do it means that next year, for example, yeah. they go to somebody else and they say, right, we're upping our budget this year. You get a hundred quid. It's like, but somebody did it for less than that last year. Yeah, yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And it means that we have to like every step that we take down that road mm-hmm. is another piece of education that we have to do eventually as an industry, which Absolutely. is that every, the more we lead expectations of people doing this stuff for free or for nothing or for almost nothing, the the more and more we're undervaluing not just ourselves, not just the people that the we work industry. with today, not just the industry now. We're undervaluing everybody that's listening to this podcast, everyone that wants to work in this industry, and tiny children who want to do it in about ten years' time. Yeah. You're kicking them in the face. My partner says it is all the time as well because when it comes to things, he's like, "How much do you get paid at work? What's your hourly rate at work?" Yes, he's like, "It's you know that wouldn't even be an hour of your time yes. at work. Not even an hour of your time as an yeah. academic." So why do your ideas? Cost less, cost less when you're doing when 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 they're making other people yeah. money mm-hmm. than when you're doing them for public benefit. Agreed. That makes yeah. no sense. Yeah. Well, also, our union brochures are available in the Labour Party gift shop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm genuinely pushing the industry to unionise. I think like yeah. a, a, either either equity needs to step up and actually get involved in immersive and interactive stuff a bit yes. better, yeah. or, or we need something different because. We we absolutely need more. And that's been the problem, isn't semi, it? Because we sit outside of that, don't we? I, I agree, yeah. I think so. Because at the moment, immersive sort of sits 
entirely yes. outside of all of those structures, all of we're the way... We're not fringe, we're not quite... We're not fringe, <laughs> we're not off, 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 We're not, anything. We're not live art, necessarily. No, There's no, a cross-section, no, 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 no. but yeah, most yeah, of the work yeah. isn't. ITC is the only organisation that really actively, mm-hmm. like... Um, actively kind of courts us and that you know you look at punch drunk the biggest yeah. player around they're an itc member that's it yeah mm. it's but even when i'm putting together an arts council bid i'll be looking and going well where do i find the rates for this because mm. yep. because equity have hidden it yeah because no, it's, all, it's all really difficult <laughs> to find all also, of those things because we whole, sit outside of a lot of those things and there's a whole set of expertise and a whole set of roles that exist and i'm sure like specific couples like becky not, brown that's specific what she does on a daily basis exactly. is not covered under any role no exactly that and that's part of the problem that that exactly. whole thing needs reassessing and yep. reconsidering and i think that's important exactly. i mean even if you look at the rates of like it's um what is it per week for a performer? Uh, 420? No, it's like 530. 530, 530 there we go. What was I yeah. thinking of? So 530 a week for a performer, but then lots of people go, hmm, a week, a week could be seven working days. Yeah, for an actor, for sure. So like, yeah, there's, there's still some real flexibility inside that, well, which yeah, can be like perturbing. If, if you look at the, 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 the base, like ITC equity kind of arrangements are based around a six day working week where yeah. you're, you're probably working a matinee and an evening show on a yes, long, long, long right? days as well. Yeah. Long, but then you, you let me shift your perspective. We ran, we run our shows, like for example, Heist is the best example of this, six times a night, mm-hmm. six nights a week. In terms of sheer number of shows, that's a that's a way bigger number of shows than than equity are geared up for. Oh, God, yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's not like you can't come at this from multiple angles and make various different cases about mm-hmm. it. But because there's no established kind of no, this is yeah. this is the thing, like this is the expectation that exists in this industry, and this is how much that costs. That that the more we solidify that, the better. I agree. It's like when when I did Brighton, I did nine shows every day in a row yeah and it's just me yeah one-on-one back to back to back to back to yeah back and to you'd back be back and, and if you were a performer you'd be paying you'd be paid uh, in uh, this another itc shop show would be paying you five you'd be paid the same 530 a week that yeah. somebody doing an hour-long performance would get is that yeah. okay no it's completely but different that's, that's what it? the industry is yeah and that i think that's what needs yeah. reassessing it's, and pressure yeah. putting on in order Agreed. but i don't know where that pressure Needs to come from. Needs to come from us. Nobody else is going to give it to us. No. No. But I think it does need to come from the companies that are successful and the companies that have that kind of weight behind them now. Well, that's... We're willing to be arrogant and flatter ourselves enough. That, that That's why we're talking about this. Is yeah, because it's this important. is genuinely something that we think everyone will benefit from. Yeah. And if we... If companies that are kind of our scale mm-hmm. aren't saying that, then we're essentially complicit. Mm. Yes. I know there's big discussions that have only really started in the last year happening in academia now where people are starting to recognise the exploitation that's happening in this kind of yep. yeah. field. But it's a yep. very new discussion, which is really surprising <laughs> as well. very new work. And what, one of the major things as well is these are all new business models. Yes. Like we basically... This, if you've got your cash and carry, you get your stock in and a customer buys your stock. Yeah. I, I, we design a new way of doing business every time we put a show up. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like entrepreneurs. Like, and, and then you go well, like, oh, well, I can't even scale the product. I can't even make more robberies. Like, <laughs> we can. We can. We're working on it. But like, you know, it's, it, it's tricky. It's really yeah. tough to do that. Like, so, so you're literally going through new business proposition every single time you do it. Yeah. I know. I know that we're focusing quite a lot on business and, and like some of that. The, no, the but I think some of these things are really no important because no one's about talking about them exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, in order to give you the kind of the 
the way that some of this is seen by like established industry. When we were pitching Heist, uh, I I was I did the stage one course, um, and like stage one are great. They 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 give a lot of expertise and they give you a lot of time mm. and um, contacts. And yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, I was I was at the, the I was at a producer's dinner for that, and I was talking to one of the established uh, West End like young West End producers. Uh, and I told them like what they they said. Oh, what are you, what are you working on? And I said, All right, I'm I'm working on this. And I like outlined roughly what heist was, uh, and it was before we put tickets on sale. So it's kind of I was it was a lot less. I was walking with a lot less swagger. Yeah. Because it? it's kind of like a, you're going to tell me that this is crazy, right? And they turned to me and said, you do realize you'd make a lot more money by doing an actual robbery, right? And and then they, and I said, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, I pretty much accept that. And they say, no, like. Do you know how much the average robbery takes? It's like the average bank robbery takes less than twenty thousand pounds. Really? You'd probably make more money out of that. Like it was, it so was genuinely this, like a city. So this time we're designing all of the lockers with fake bats. <laughs> <laughs> so when you have to put your stuff inside, we are away. There we the, go. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> iPhone Nirvana. <laughs> I, also, I also just, I also just really love that West End producers. Do genuinely know how much just thieving costs? Thieving uh, costs, uh, exactly. Like how much? How much? <laughs> 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 I'd be disappointed. That's lame, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's really, all that really effort. Low. Yeah, exactly. Right, with huge risk. Huge risk. Right. Huge effort. But Planning. Right, and we're but com- comparative, comparatively, yep. we're do- we're taking on more risk <laughs> yeah. by doing these shows yeah. because. You know, the other thing that we talk about is the, the health and safety aspects. Like, we put a huge amount of work in trying to make... Because what we're doing is not covered in lots of the ways that no, things are established. No, I was going to say that, trying to get takes one insurance. Ba- takes no. one really bad injury. Mm. Takes one really... like And one judge ruling like that, yeah. that, that, that certain things have to be treated in a certain way. And because one person doesn't do the right things around it, and we are screwed as yeah, an industry. No, we are, we are toxic waste. Yeah. That, so that's something that, that we're really worried about as well. Like, behind the scenes, this is stuff that we talk about. And we talk about things, you know, we talk about controversial things like, okay, let's say, uh, let's say somebody punches an actor. Let's say the un- actor punches someone back. Mm-hmm. What yeah. do we, like, or genuinely... Or pushes them and they fall. What, yeah. what do we do? Like, what, what do we, what do, we do I about I guess that? it's only a matter of time, isn't it, before something... <coughs> let's be, fr- let's be let's frank. Be frank. Injuries are like going to happen. Yeah, yeah. It, at some point, statistically speaking, someone will die in an immersive production. Yeah, of course yeah. they will. The question becomes, who is culpable yeah. or is being blamed yeah. for that? Now, in, in the UK, if we tried to put Heist up in the US in the way that we were doing it when we originally put it together, like, as in... All of the risks were, like, it was health and safety checked across the board. Everything was in the, exactly the right place. But yeah. the community there is way more litigious. Oh, way if more. If we were to open Heist in the US, we need to have a fund of money that is just ready for being sued. For being well, we, sued, we, absolutely. You know, we were told, basically, like, just get, you need to have bulletproof insurance. You need mm. to have, like, two layers of it because you will get sued. It's yeah. not a question of when. No, you will yeah. get sued. Yeah. And, and because that's the way that they're used to working with things, and the cost of business, that's just part of the cost of business there. The worry is that here, you know, we have the most, you know, there's some interesting stuff happening in, in the rest of Europe and Germany. Uh, and, you know, we get to go and give talks to acad- like theatre academics out there every now and then and kind of test the water and talk to other people. Um, but it's this industry is way more advanced in London. London is the centre of the yeah, world London when it comes to this. It still absolutely is. absolutely is. I and agree. it will continue to be for a while. Yeah. Um, but all of that is quite fragile right now. Just and and all it takes... brown outside of London. <coughs> Look, but the, but yeah, we, we would love, we would love to. Which is the capitalisation can't necessarily meet the, uh, the audience demand. Yeah, that is the problem. I've we've we've so seen some people yeah. who are in industries not that 
not that different to us, have real trouble getting a show to make commercial sense in Manchester. And we thought Manchester was pretty much a slam dunk. Mm. Manchester was where we were looking at next mm. in terms of UK cities. Even places like Brighton where you would expect... It's yep. not a big population though. You don't no. have a big Even during population. the festival, we yeah. had a one-on-one show which we struggled with a five-star review from Broadway Baby. Yeah. But we still couldn't. See, that's easily recognisable to audiences as well. If they see a five-star review from Broadway Baby and they know that they're at the Brighton Fringe, yeah, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be it's as difficult. It's crazy, as but yeah. you're right. And this is a real frustrating thing: is that there's mm. loads of yeah. potentially great <laughs> sites outside of London that are probably much cheaper as yeah. well. Well, but then it also becomes a thing of like, well, do you start then making people... your audiences travel? Yeah, so I you mean, start making that start become part of it. Felix Barrett was saying years ago that it was like he like he was in a video interview and they've not really ever done anything with it, Punch Drunk. But he was saying like, I want to start an immersive travel agency. Mm, that would be a, amazing. An amazing idea. Capitalization for it is horrific. Yep. Mm-hmm. People are doing performances, immersive performances on a plane. A plane is not immersive. You know. No, no, no. Um, the thing is, lots of us do of travel. Stuff. I think that's the thing. Everyone who yeah. lives outside of London will travel yeah. in, but the cost but for us then is so much more. Like, it, it, what are you? Are you going on an immersive day away excursion? Right, but, but then it's. I mean, but then like, that's yeah, you know one of the models. Complex. One of the models we've looked at is taking over. Um, buildings in the middle of nowhere, bussing mm. people in, Bussing. staying the night, yeah, yeah. right, staying like a full yeah. weekend show. Weirdly, like, buses aren't too bad because my sister. This is so weird. She's mm. a beaver leader. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was. <a> beaver. <laughs> Don't even. <laughs> every time I'm so childish. Every time she says it, makes me laugh. But she's a beaver leader. Why? <laughs> <laughs> you, I, I don't get it. <laughs> Well, and um, she gets buses all like hires buses all the time, and I'm always surprised that she how... buses them in for the beavers. <laughs> how reasonable the beaver buses are! I don't know if they get a discount for being beavers. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> but it's surprisingly it's, reasonable to bus people. It's about. not so much that; it's more that um, the cost of so what we've been talking about is basically running a show for an entire weekend, right? Yeah, you treat yeah. it, you treat it as a it's a it's a one long show. It's a mm-hmm. durational show. You do it all weekend, uh, and we would have an audience that we would have to essentially bus in on a Friday mm-hmm. night, Friday evening. Yeah. The show goes on, on until Sunday night. Yeah. Um, it's the cost of putting them up for that period of time. It's the cost of feeding them. <coughs> feeding. Like, yeah, yeah. You're basically actually then running an you're immersive running a hotel. hotel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Which, yeah. I mean, Disney's yeah. just started to kind yes, of do. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. We don't, yeah, we, heard but about nobody that. has the Disney money, right? Yeah. Nobody has that. Nobody. Nobody. But also, even though those guys won't know how to do that. No, no, of course not. They will not. No, I mean, it'll be there'll be some really. It'll be themed. It'll be themed. It won't be immersive. Immersive is the buzzword that's been attached. There's been a few things, hasn't there? There's been a couple of overnight things. Yeah, there was Medea. Medea Hotel Medea, which was. I didn't again. I couldn't get a ticket because things. I saw that in Edinburgh when it when it happened there, and and I would say. It's kind of Rift immersive, Macbeth, kind so of not. Yeah, there was Macbeth in the Tower. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, these these are things where they're actually building in the capacity to come and then leave halfway through. Yeah, yeah, but then, yeah. and this is also the thing as well. It's like you as an audience member, all of the things that we just said, they have, and as well as like you know, actually, those are two separate points. But all of them are um, big properties that you know what you're going for. Yeah. So if you go, I'm going to immersive. I'm going to overnight Macbeth. You go, I think I know what that might be. Whereas yeah. if you if you don't nail your hook, if you don't go, I'm going to an overnight robbery, yeah. if you just go, you're going to see Patient Y, I don't know that I want to leave I London. agree, actually. And, way, and you'll know, you know the shows that have, in, in Punch Drunk, do exactly this as well. All yeah. those that have that yeah. textual foundation yeah. that yeah. people know, it's a story they know, a world they know, yeah. it instantly... Yeah. We're not interested in that. We want to make you work. No, me too. I'm not interested. But they're making you work at capacity with all the risks that we've just talked about. 
is crazy. Making new work is always a risk, regardless. Even but new writing is agreed. a massive risk. Yeah. But yeah. I would just to get people through the door. Yeah. You know? Because yeah, you've got to yeah. give them an incentive. But that's where Immersive has been very helpful, is that actually we've got the general public are coming to see these shows. This isn't yes. when we were doing fringe work, where it's friends of friends, people who are into theatre. Other artists, my academics parents, and students. Yeah, <laughs> like that's, like, that, was your, that was your audience. Yeah, and yeah. Every, every time you'd write an issue-based drama, you'd put something on, and everyone sat there be like, massively agree with every point that's just been yeah, made yeah. there. Should we go home? People who come through the shows now, The People's Revolt is one <laughs> that we... So it... If you take something like Heist, which is a um, a very highly interactive show, mm -hmm. and put it next to The People's Revolt, The People's Revolt is a show that is more about meeting somewhere between immersive performance and a kind of introduction to interactivity. Mm -hmm. So there's stuff in it where you are having you have the capacity to make massive change inside that show. The, the decisions that you make will change the course of it. There are twenty of you as opposed to eight. Yeah. This is for people. It was designed by like the Tower of London came to us and said, "Can you do an interactive, immersive thing yeah. for audiences that may never have been to it before?" Yeah, no, absolutely. You're dealing with a very when you're yeah. dealing yeah. with a memory institution in that way, you're dealing with a very different yeah. yeah, and also like audience. So let's talk about that spectrum as well, which is a fascinating one that all of us are having to deal with at the moment. So we built into the People's Revolt because we've been talking about doing pre and post engagement from the moment you hear about that show or buy yeah. a ticket, you are in the show as far as we're concerned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we decided to do a tester of this and we built a, a five-day platform that for five days before the production, there's pre-engagement content of the, the world discussing and you meeting your team and chatting with them. Right, like, okay. All of this stuff is starting to exist before people's revolve. No one's, people have been trying, and I know Secret Cinema's trying to do some stuff, but no one's really kind of explored what we think. So we built a system to be able to do it ourselves because yeah. um, we can control that platform. Also, we can learn from it and the interactions mm -hmm. that happen on it. So in advance of the show, you get to do that and then you get to turn up and you get to be in that show and then you also get all of the post engagement for two days afterwards. Okay. So all of the decisions that you made flip into the post engagement. So like Brilliant. we're trying to do so much stuff with that. However, there's a spectrum, a massive spectrum mm -hmm. of audiences. So you've got the audiences that are coming in who went and played an Escape the Room game. Yes. And they're ex expecting to turn up to Escape the Room game Town of London. Yes. And then you've got audiences who come in and they're expecting to go around Heist because they went on a journey with us previously. Exactly. You've got audiences that come in who have never done anything like it before. Um, and they don't really know what to make of it, and they sure as hell didn't read any of the pre-engagement platform, because is that what you were supposed to do? They've never done this sort of work before. Yeah, of course. And so you're in a group of 20, and you've got all of these different people trying to compete and want to do the same things. Yeah. One of the massive opportunities that that project has given us is the way of being able to take larger capacity audiences and design for all of them. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's not, uh, don't get me wrong, we're not perfect yet, but God, we're trying. Yeah. Like we've taken an opportunity and read it. Like there's yeah. been aspects of that show that we learned from in the first iteration. We redesigned Heist constantly because you don't just design a game. You don't just put something together, a piece of art together and call it done and walk no. away from it. <laughs> Particularly when there are so many, like Heist started with 14 or 15 different endings. Well, when you we have... ended with 32, no, 14. No, it's over 40. It's over 40 endings. When the yeah. central protagonist is the audience, yeah. then that has to, it has yeah. to be flexible yes. enough to respond and to yeah. that. We had an amazing woman who came to Heist um, six times. Eight. Was it eight? Yeah. Oh. See, my memory's getting fuzzy. It was eight times. She came on so many frequent occasions, she was determined to get the best ending. And we were we, like, there's no best ending. She started following performance on Facebook. We, we, I was like, what's the best ending? And then she turned up, and the first thing that she did was she walked out, and everyone's supposed to see a guard in the distance, and then they go, oh, this is the first element of threat that enters into the space. Yeah, yeah. 
she saw the guard, she was like, see you guys there. A complete group of strangers walked straight up to the guard and was like, we're here doing a robbery. And all of us running what we call tower, which is where we coordinate all the show from, just went, oh, Jesus Christ. Um, um, oh, someone just broke the show. We re-engineered. We invented an entire storyline for this woman uh-huh. to be able to go along where there were fake paintings and like betrayal and all this sort of stuff. So we re-engineered We, we reused that. a load of elements that we had for other stuff. Yeah. And we had to mm-hmm. put something together and put a load of content together just for that. And people yeah. will always, always, in oh, my yeah. Experience, do something you could never possibly yep. have imagined for, that they might oh have done. A guy turned up and stood on Tower Bridge with a newspaper with the eye holes cut out, dressed as a spy for an hour and a half beforehand, watching the shows go through. Now, there's a degree to which <laughs> that's amazing. That is, amazing. That is our dream audience member. Yes. In that first iteration of the run, we feel a little bit disappointed because we couldn't respond to what he'd done. We acknowledged yeah. it in the performance. Absolutely. We saw that it was happening. We put it into the performance and it was acknowledged. It was given a nod. Yeah. But the structure of that show, we're in a historic building. It's an introduction to <laughs> like interactive, immersive performance for a lot of people. And it's for the Tower of London audience. Like It's hard to give it that. Yeah, it has to be... So we have to start setting those discussion points with our audience. As this industry continues to grow, it can't just be, come to our immersive show. I'm going to tell you shit all about it. It needs to yep. become to our massive show. This is what it's going to feel like. This is its level of intensity. Because I don't want to be scaring off loads no, of our no, audience. No, no, well, some terminology, I think, helps in. with that as well. Because I think there is a very hardcore audience who yeah. is seeking out immersive experiences in theatre. Yep. Which is a very specific thing. But mm. I think we're seeing loads more stuff now coming out of um, memory institutions and coming out of spaces that oh, aren't yeah, necessarily we've, theatrical. We've, we've yes. suddenly been... Like, they have a very different audience. We've suddenly been flooded with people like from museums and things just coming to us in yeah. order to. Like, it's because mm-hmm. there is huge amounts of funding coming yeah, it's, in it's, it's to suddenly, support it's, that. There is, and, yeah. and there's, you know, we were lucky with the Tower Show because we actually got ahead of the curve somewhat. Yeah, right? no, Between, absolutely. Um, so, you know, we, we were working with... Uh, Historic Royal Palaces and Adam Silver. We're amazing. Who's, who's, who's so, he's, he's so mm-hmm. into immersive. And but it's about theater. managing all of those different himself. aspects. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, he understands gets where it, it comes from. So, yeah. so there's so many more things I really want to talk to you about, but I'm, I'm I know, know we're pressed for time, aren't we? We're getting, yeah. It's crazy. But the good thing about podcasting is I can come back and talk to you anytime I like. But there's cool. one little thing <laughs> I did want to kind of ask you about mm-hmm. that is I talk to everyone about because I'm really anxious about it. On one hand, I'm kind of like, ha-ha! And on the other hand, I'm like, mm Documentation. Yep. Uh, the whole point of immersion is that um, synesthetic, corporeal, haptic moment. Mm-hmm. And as a maker, that for me is everything. But also, what concerns me as someone who is a kind of cultural ward to some extent, because academia yep. is kind of tasked with, with doing that, is the disappearance yep. of it's, this mode of work yeah. in it's, 20 it's, years' yeah. time. Yep. Do you document? How do you feel about documentation? So we, we document some things very well and yeah. some things very poorly. Yeah. Uh, it's all about capacity rather than intent as well. Yeah, yeah. It's to be honest with you, if we could find, it, with Heist, time and money. Yeah, no. Where's the time? Where's the money? We've got to do the shows for the audience. Like, the performers are paid to be here. Like, it costs a lot of money yeah. to document stuff. Yeah. Well, by the but, time but, I remember, but, half but, the time wait, is when wait, I'm but, writing but, another no, like, bid in the future. I would, and I would, I would say that, that, but that's not how we operate now. I would say that there are some things which, like, when, when I say that we, you know, there's some things which are very poorly documented, I would say the actual, like, the, the actual audience experience, what it feels like to be in that show, mm-hmm. which is the, what you're getting at is the kind of core purpose of this kind of work yeah, yeah. Mm. is so difficult to document, yes. right? Yeah. 
we <laughs> rehearsal photographs. Choice-driven My whole academic structures. career is yes. about trying to yeah, find yeah, yeah. methodologies so, for capturing. Well, so you didn't put it in the computer game, well, we just said they're trite. Right, so, <laughs> so, so one, of, one of the things that we do capture is that we've always been, you know, we come, I especially come from a very data academia kind of background. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, so, so we capture audience decisions and audience... Uh, oh, so you've like, got hard... So, for yeah. example, all of our online Quantity content is, is orchestrated and we feed back quant data back into the show. Right. So, for example, for People's Revolt, mm. um, I don't want to spoil it too much for anyone who might go along to it, but um, the pre-engagement that we've been talking about, the degree to which any individual in that show, everyone has a separate account. They meet each other for the first time online, mm-hmm. but we're also watching. Yeah, we yeah. have we have printouts that go out to the entire cast yeah. and crew before the show of every audience member, their code name, and effectively uh, how much engagement they've done mm-hmm. through the online oh, system. Whether the trade secret. No, but these no no like these in terms of documentation data are like, really right. important because <laughs> these are not. Yeah, but I'm, it's also that how we deal with that spectrum. The, the, how we deal with that spectrum with individual audience. Yes, that's one of the ways. Yeah, exactly. So so we also we capture all of that, all of the mm. all of the data that I would like to write into sociological studies about mm-hmm. how people behave in certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. We capture that kind of stuff. Great, mm. but it's from a. Uh, it, it, it's from an almost econometric perspective rather than... But even that is valuable because I think yeah, at the yeah, moment yeah. the problem is, is there is no central resource, there is no archive, no. there is no... Great. There isn't even a network, I'm working on that, um, yeah. to bring these things together and start to put together PhDs who well, are going to do these things, I, start to put together yeah. funding streams where we can actually start to... There have been some attempts. Right, right, some Nest, Nesta tried to do an attempt, right? And yeah. we worked with Punch Drunk and it didn't work out so well, yeah, yeah. right? Um <laughs> I actually pitched to Nesta after they did that project and they they were a little bit more wary of it because we literally want to do a load of like taking those metrics. We did it for Heist, Mm. for example, even. We had reports. Every single show had a report where performers and and crew reported things that had happened in that show. And that's really valuable data. It's it's incredibly valuable. valuable. That's the kind of stuff that we've got. The, The stuff that we've got less of is about our process, yeah. Scripts from the car, like what yeah. what has actually been developed and and, it's, and again, it's the not time. the script in the development stage is actually there <coughs> yeah. until it yeah. hits draft. When it actually goes into production and the changes that have been made yeah. in the rehearsal room, yeah, they're not fly. documented. So yeah, or everything you've learned of the structure of the course, yeah, yeah. Yeah. gone, they're all lost. And it's so. immensely problematic because, for example, we d- we talk about content development throughout the show. Like we mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. have to do that. Yeah. Let's talk about wasted content. I mean, content that nobody ever saw. Yeah. Because we Absolutely. we spend like when we design shows, and this is the, I always describe it the same way. It's basically like. It, it looks like we have all gone crazy and unreal. And how there's those paper on the walls, as well. There's all of this yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, how, how those kind of things feed back into the show. But we design so much content that nobody ever sees. Do you have a... This is one of the things I'm kind of mm. quite interested in. Do you use dramaturg, uh, a dramaturg no, in the process? Currently. Well, we, we are each other's dramaturgs. We, but the, the issue is the capacity to be able to get to the record, like the recording of the stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Although it's very helpful in that sense, or in a constructive sense, in a pre-production environment, when yeah. it, uh, of someone actually recording the process, it goes, no, not yet, and we haven't been able to afford to have one. Yeah. Well, I have the same problem. So I come ahead, and I'm a researcher who practices research, and documentation is my field. Well, if you of want to come and document one of our shows, you're very, very welcome. Thank doing. you very much. Or if you know anyone, that, if there's anyone listening, yeah, of that course, who wants, wants to do this? Anyone wants to make it up, we're genuinely, we're really open to that. You tend You'll to be think so disappointed. I tend to think about <laughs> it when I'm coming it's, it's to write a proposal or writing a funding bid. <laughs> And I'm trying to find the evidence to support my previous work, and then I'm like, 
Oh, shit. Yeah. I didn't remember to do this. I didn't remember yeah. to document that. How have I not got pictures of that? How have I not got video yeah. of this? Mm. And so you have this huge black hole. And even now, looking back over 10 years of my research, I'm like, fuck, there is an awful lot of material here that could have been valuable or used as a pedagogical resource that could also be used yeah. in terms of other people's research and analysis and understanding moving forward. It's just gone. Yeah. And I think if that's happening to me on such a small scale, Agreed. what about... Yep. this industry that we're building that's in its infancy and you're right it's going to require some funding it's going to require mm. infrastructure in place to be able to document and record those things because yep. it's usually only afterwards or by accident that well, you because end nobody up... wants to document a shit show that doesn't like that nobody no likes, exactly right? but then when exactly. it's a huge success you look and you go bugger we yeah, haven't recorded exactly. anything because we got here and by the seat that. of our pants we had that with heist it was all it was yeah. all the, the very last iteration none of the expansion <laughs> of that show was no, recorded it was like oh god we're closing it someone put a gopro on their head like it was like it was yeah. that sort of level of and most people it. are in that situation the most people that i've spoken yeah. to are in that situation yeah. it was all on the because everyone the way we have to work in this field it's all on the fly like that so we, we're losing mm -hmm. So as a maker, I kind of, I, I like that elusivity that mm. we have. It's mm. quite exciting for me, but as an academic, it kind of terrifies well, me one, a one of the things that we did document very, we started documenting very early on was, uh, so we live direct a lot of our shows. Mm -hmm. And we started live, we basically started recording the decisions that we live directed for the show. Now that right? is very interesting. So that, that kind of stuff, including True. the timings, for example, of when stuff happened. Because we were also yeah. trying to collect data to work out how much time our audience was spending on each bit. Yeah. So that we knew how to predict audience behavior in the future, the future. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. a lot of our like that's what a lot of it is it's all very functional yeah, no, and we, we come from that kind of we but we come from but a that's background where data is valuable right? it's, so, yeah, that's it's, interesting it's, exactly it's also that thing of like you <clears> look at i think as makers and as psychologists which is uh, to, a uh, to a degree the two dovetail into each other yeah, of course the data very frequently backs up the assumptions that you had made in the first place mm. but then there are constant outliers so you know when you get that graph <laughs> which is like 90% well, yeah. of people fall within this like this category and then you get boop it's just like, oh, Jesus Christ, yeah. where do those guys go? Yeah. Like, how did that even like, happen? How, did, how yeah. did somebody even get eight tickets to heist, right? We have no idea. Exactly. Right? We have how? no idea how that I couldn't even get happen. one. Mm. <laughs> but then I would hear people uh, mask of red death saying, I've been five times, and I'm like, bugger me. I, how did you do that? I struggled really hard to get one yeah. ticket. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much sell my soul to get a ticket. It's getting <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> like, I've never been to um, Yumi Bum Bum Train's work. No, they, they, I've never, yeah, we've wanted to engage with them for ages, but we haven't gone directly to them at any point, which is something we should have done, but I'm really intrigued to see them, to see them go through their shows. So yeah, so what is the best way for people to keep up to date with your news, what you're doing? Take a stone and bury it at a crossroads. <laughs> you will have a vivid dream. That is Difference Engine's next show. <laughs> In all seriousness, I'm, I'm so sorry. We are ridiculous people. Please um, do that. This is this is no, exactly why. If you send we us, make, we we have to make work like this. Please tweet us. Please tweet us photographs of you burying a stone at a crossroads. They, they won't. They and won't. And we will us, send you something. They won't have us in normal fitters. That's why we take over abandoned buildings. <laughs> I'm expecting Dean uh, and Sam to break through the door. Yeah, <laughs> quite. Yeah. Um, so if you are looking to reach us, the, honestly, the best place to find out about where to get tickets because things do sell out relatively frequently. Join us 
our mailing list on our website, yep. just differenceengine.co.uk. I'm going to spell that because it is a tricky thing to spell. <laughs> because we're idiots and we never planned for success. We couldn't afford the .com if they, if they shared an E. Also, it's, it's ugly looking. It's ugly looking. So it's D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E-N. See what we did there? G-I-N-E. So the E at the end of difference and at the beginning of engine is shared. Um, and that's .co.uk. Uh, you can also reach us at Difference Engine on Twitter um, and um, at Difference John on Instagram. I have an Instagram, account. Instagram account. Yeah, <laughs> have you? I haven't updated it in ages. What's it got pictures of? Um, oh, I mean, I think they're called stones. Dick pics, <laughs> <laughs> Just stones at crossroads. It will be from now. <laughs> Just every single place you visit that's got a crossroad. Yeah, I just really like, like it was a, an old like to be able to um, treat warts yeah. in the olden days. You used Rubbed to rub it. a stone on it and then you bury it at a crossroads. Yeah. I just really love that as a concept. I think it's really beautiful. Um, that's a show right there. Yeah, exactly that. They're contagious as well, aren't they? Yep. Stones. Warts. <laughs> what? <laughs> They're helping to spread warts around. Oh my god. <laughs> Good day. It's been a good it's, day. It's really hot in here. It it's is really, really hot. hot. We've been oh, talking a long time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thank hope. you very, very, very much. We're going to be continuing talking this evening in um, secretive meetings, which... Shh. Don't talk about the gunpowder plot. <laughs> Don't talk about the secretive meetings. <laughs> which is very exciting. So I am probably going to return and speak to you again in the near future, chatting. which will be yeah. brilliant. So, But for now, that is all you're getting, listeners. Uh, until next time. So thank you very, very much. Thank you. Very welcome. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I would love to hear from you, my lovely listeners. Uh, you can tweet at Tate Podcast, or you can send me an email directly to talkingaboutimmersivetheatre at gmail.com. But don't abbreviate it to Tate at gmail.com because I have literally no idea who that will go to, but it won't be me. So it's talkingaboutimmersivetheatre at gmail.com. And I would love to hear what you've been up to, where you're based, and anything cool and immersive that you might have seen recently that you want to share. Or you just might want to say, hey. Uh, you can even find us on Facebook as well, even though, according to my nephew, Tommy, who's going to kill me when he listens to this, only old people and dinosaurs use Facebook. So if you're a fellow dinosaur or a fellow old person, you can find us on Facebook by searching for Talking by Immersive Theatre or Tate. You might even be able to find us by searching for Dr. Joanna Bucknell. I don't know, but give it a go. Find us and get in touch. So until next month. Bye.